everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Akin. Lots of energy today. Caleb Masters, and today we're here to dismantle the patriarchy, perform audio dance numbers, and chew pink bubblegum all at the same time. That's right, today we're continuing our Barbenheimer double feature with our review of Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Might have heard of it. It's like the biggest movie in the world right now, the biggest movie of the summer, and one of the biggest movies of all time. We're going to first talk a little bit about a quick update on the SAG AFRA strike. We're also going to talk a little bit about Barbie's box office performance. And then we have a couple of quick icebreaker questions before we jump into our spoiler-free review and verdict on Greta Gerwig's Barbie. And then we'll conclude the show with an in-depth spoiler discussion. And I want to underscore in-depth because the spoiler-free review is probably going to be pretty short, given that there's a lot to this movie we don't want to spoil. Joining me today, as always... He's another Ken. He <laughs> might be more attractive than me, but I'm not going to tell him that. LaRon Chapman, are my co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, welcome back to the show. How are your energy levels today? Oh, they're super high. Um, and, you know, I think you and I are just two disillusioned Kens and you know, looking for purpose in this world. But here we are um, in a Barbie land, so. We don't have a beach, so there's no beaching off today, but we do have no. a pot. We could pot off. We could pot, okay. Yeah, I, I, pot. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, man. So excited to welcome... Uh, a first-time guest to the Cinematic Schematic. She is a Dead Center Film Festival Shorts programmer, also the host of Oklahoma City's Fem Film, Paris Burris. Paris, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And last, but certainly not least, very excited to be rejoined by, she's a freelance writer and also very familiar voice on the Cinematic Schematic, the former host of Soundtrack, Alexandra Bohan. Alex, welcome back. Hi, howdy. Wonderful. You guys are bringing the Kennergy. We're bringing the barbie that was yeah. wonderful <laughs> diction there. Um, doesn't quite work the other way around, but yes, well, I'm happy, happy to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to quickly note that if you were listening to the Cinematic Schematic today and you're enjoying the conversation, especially maybe if you're joining us for the first time via the Barbenheimer double feature, please support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. Also, a quick note, Next week, Laurent and I are going to be reviewing Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, perhaps some other fun stuff. We'll see. Um, the reason I mention it is because there is, in fact, if you're listening via Spotify, a poll that is a part of this episode that you can vote in where you can pick which of the Barbenheimer double feature that you like the most. So let us know via that poll. Uh, we also had a Twitter poll that wrapped up this last week. And uh, yeah, it looks like Oppenheimer kicked the crap out of Barbie on Twitter, which is not surprising, frankly, given the platform. I had one note that I wanted to read from listener in front of the show, Brian Marlette. Let me pull up his comment real quick. When we asked on Facebook, which film did you like better? I got a very thoughtful response and I just wanted to share it with everyone and we can discuss. So Brian says, we actually had this discussion today. They were both vastly different movies and, and yet both excellent. We landed on Barbie being the one we liked better, but not perhaps not the best. Oppenheimer needed some trimming and editing, like most of Christopher Nolan's movies, You're not wrong, but it was powerful and challenging. Barbie was a fun surprise, especially regarding the depth of the film. So to take what could have been a simple premise and give it power and principle is something that deserves oh, at least a one watch. Both are Oscar contenders in my mind. Love to hear that. They pair well together. Oppenheimer reminds us of our terrible human nature and that the world needs fixing before it's too late. And Barbie tells us that there is more to our natures if we are willing to grow. And it gives us insight that the world doesn't have to come to a terrible end 
if we were willing to embrace the change. Great comment. Brian, thanks so much for weighing in on uh, that poll. So it sounds like he's giving his vote to Barbie at the end of the day while kind of chiming in. Uh, real quick, thoughts on Brian's comment, Laron? No, I think that's a good a good assessment. I probably land in the same spot. I think that um, I, I, I actually loved both films. Um, but uh, the one that I'll probably revisit the most, probably once a year, is definitely Barbie. Um, you know, I think it'll have the same kind of legs or legacy or pop culture kind of, you know, um, as maybe, I mean, I hate to say, like, cause I don't think these movies are reductive in any way, but like you're legally blonde or mean girls, or those are movies that people reference and meme and talk about all the time because they connect with people at, you know, certain points in their lives. And I think Barbie has a lot more to mine on, you know, um, intellectually, um, which I think is also why we'll continue to look at it, review it, study it, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yes. So much more on Barbie. Uh, in yeah. today's podcast. Um, what a treat. We get two movies back like in the same weekend. That I just feel like there's so much to unpack with both of them. And uh, Brian hit the nail on the head. There's a lot to Barbie to dig into. Well, with that said, let's move on to a quick update with SAG-AFTRA. I'm calling this section the Strike Watch. Guess what? Someone finally blinked last night. End of the business day on the West Coast, so around 7 o'clock uh, here in Central Standard Time Zone, Oklahoma. Sony is uh, one of the first major studios to announce delays due to the WGA and SAG after strikes. Most notably, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, the sequel to this summer's other biggest film, has been completely removed from the schedule from its previous March 2024 date. Now, I want to quickly note, and we haven't talked about this on the podcast, but there were reports that came out earlier this summer from people who had worked on the film uh, across the Spider-Verse that there was absolutely no way that they were going to be able to hit that the March 2024 release date at all as the film was still in pre-production, not, as we discussed on the podcast, likely in post-production. I think it's interesting they didn't just push it back. It's off the schedule entirely. And another one of the reasons they they noted in a story uh, from Variety was that the actors had not completed uh, their voice recording. Now, animation uh, is a very complex, multi-step form of storytelling and production. And I will say, though, from what I understand, and any listeners who are into animation who want to chime in to correct me, please do. My understanding is that you are usually doing most of the voice recording at, at the beginning of production with pickups and adjustments at the end of production. So if the, the actors have not completed their initial recordings, that would really indicate to me that the movie's still pretty far off anyway. So just want to note, though, a considerable update. The one I know that we're all way more upset about, though, is absolutely, I know we are all just in knots about Craven the Hunter starring Aaron Taylor Johnson. It has been pushed almost an entire year from October of 2023 to August 30th of 2024. I know, guys. I, I was dying for it. The Morbius verse continues. Another one, uh, the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife has also been pushed from December of this year to Easter weekend of 2024, March 29th exact date. And hey, I didn't even know there was another Karate Kid movie in development, but there's a Karate Kid movie that was originally supposed to come out in June 2024 uh, that was pushed to December 2024. There's a lot of other notable delays uh, from smaller films, but I wanted to call that out. This is uh, Sony is the first one to blink, essentially, among the major studios to say, hey, we're going to have to shake up our schedule. I'll start with you, Alex. What do you make about the this news from execs regarding the impact of the strike? I mean, I think it was only a matter of time. And I mean, it just was Sony was the first um, company to break first uh, to break first over it. I I I'm maybe a little surprised that it took this long. But to me, this just signals that they're 
we're in for a long one on this mm-hmm. and they're anticipating it's going to be a ride. And um, that makes me very sad because we've had just this joyful, uh, when I say a joyful glut, that kind of sounds <laughs> a little negative, but we've had a really kind of prosperous season kind of post pandemic and we're getting back in the swing of um, interesting films and thoughtful conversations. And now all of that is we're going to go back to game shows and a lot of reality, unscripted reality TV, probably for a while. Um, but it, it's all for the greater good, um, the greater purpose of getting everyone their just due um, for the work they put in. And, and we should note the re- most recent reports this week are that there have been no negotiations. God, it's so, so sad. Uh, and there's none on the schedule. No. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, we're in for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Paris, what do you make? Uh, firstly, feel free to like weigh in with your perspective on the strike uh, just in general, but what, what are your thoughts specifically on this delay? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just like devastating to see it overall, but I'd like to think that it's just a scare tactic. Statements that, you know, these executives have said before is we're just going to, make all of these writers go broke, Mm -hmm. you know, basically, and that'll force them to stop the strike. And it feels like this is just another part of that scare tactic. And I don't think that these writers and these, you know, um, everyone in the industry, filmmakers, um, are going to give up. I don't think that's going to have any – I don't think this is going to stop what they're trying to stop. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's still sad because it's, like, so pointless, right? But something that we have to consider is, like, these executives don't make money if they don't make movies. They're going to make these movies. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to scare us. So. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, well said. Uh, Laurent, anything you want to add here, here about this specific delay? Yeah, that's, it's it, it, it's going to be pretty bleak next year for sure, you know, because everything that has been delayed, we're not really seeing it now. But like you said, everything that's been delayed next year, you're going to see – the scarcity of content coming out. And that's when we're going to go back to like, there is nothing coming out this year because everything is going to be pushed to the following year, assuming we get through a solution by then, you know? So um, that's unfortunate, but I also think that this is probably the only way that they're going to move the needle in any kind of tangible way for the people this is affecting the most, you know what I mean? Is to see this happen because you have to have them, you have to hit them in the pockets and, Unfortunately, I hope that the people who are most vulnerable, who can't really afford to not be working right now, um, are able to still stick to their guns because it is for the greater good. And if we don't get ahead of these issues now, then like everything else with all the, you know, corporate, every, you know, like just this huge conglomerate that we're going to have, um, they're going to see the long-term ramifications in our lives in, in terms of AI, in terms of working conditions, in terms of pay, you know, like, cause the industry model has changed, you know, with, with the, the, you know, the, uh, the streaming service insurgents. And so I think that likewise, we should see those changes modified, you know, to accommodate the people whose contributions make these things worthwhile. And so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this is, this is something that, will get resolved in an impactful way that that we can come to a compromise because I don't think it's I don't think we should give up you know I think that we have to stick you know just put our heads in the sand until someone decides to do something right you know following up on what Paris said I think that this is a uh, something that has to happen there have to be delays that the whole point of it the whole point of a strike is disruption right right and if there aren't it's not a disruption then executives don't start filling it in the wallet, right? Mm-hmm. And I, as a consumer, it's not great, but at the same time, you, under, you need to understand that this is 
the reason there's a strike is to disrupt the flow so executives have to pivot so that they can at least find some sort of compromise. And the reason they're striking is because, A, they're they're very concerned about the future viability of their career via AI, and also, B, being able to sustain themselves financially through acting yeah. or writing. I, I think that's something all of us can relate to right now. There's We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of macroeconomic trends that are really, wealth gap being a huge issue. Like, this is a thing that I think a lot of people can relate to. And yes, it's annoying that things are going to start getting pushed around on the calendar. But at the same time, if you don't want that to happen, uh, go figure out how you can support sag after it. Go figure out how you can support WGA. Go figure out how you can communicate with these executives that say, pay these people more money. That's number one. There must be a disruption for the strike to be effective. Nothing is invulnerable to this push. So a, a big rumor that came out last week is that Doom Part 2 is being is up for consideration for being moved, pushed back to an unspecified date. I know that's probably the one. <laughs> that that one hurts. That one would hurt. I also think we've got, I mean, here in Oklahoma, Killers of the Flower Moon, we've been waiting on this movie forever. And I would not put it past Apple if they can't have Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and they have a huge, a Brendan Fraser, like all these huge cast people, Lily Gladstone. If they If they don't have those actors promoting the film, they might say, well, let's just wait. Especially Apple, they don't need the money. It's already pushed. We were supposed to get it the year prior, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like, it's just, yeah. With that said, let's move on to our icebreaker questions today. I have two. I think the first one's going to be pretty short uh, and it relates directly to Barbie, which is, uh, hey, did we play with Barbies growing up? Laurent Chapman. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Throw, I'm, I'm putting you under the limelight. <laughs> yeah, uh, I never owned one, but um, I definitely secretly played with my my sisters. You know, growing up, I do distinctly remember, and I hate putting my parents on blast, but you know, I mean, here we are in life, and trauma's a thing. But I definitely asked for one. I remember explicitly when Toys R Us was a thing, asking to have one, and the emphatic no that I got from both of them about like, no, this is. You know, you can, you know, have an action figure or you can have a, you know, car toy or whatever. I don't even remember what age this was, but I know it's in my memory that, um, and the explanation for it was that it was for, that's a girl's toy, you know, and I think that's interesting because, and I think about it now, you know, in, in the space that I'm in, and I think that now that I see that, it, how gendered these roles were and how how much of a, you know, cultural significance from society was imprinted onto these dolls, you know, even at that point just says, speaks volumes to the legacy of Barbie, Barbie what it represents, who it's for and all those things. So I think it's very interesting that those conversations are are much more, you know, expanded and evolved, evolved over time. So I never got my own Barbie, but you know, I do now. All That's right. The so I put I put Laurent on blast first as the other only other male at the table because I feel like your answer is the shortest. I'm very very excited to turn to the opposite end of the table. Because <laughs> I'm not, this on purpose. <laughs> all right, Alex. Uh, hey, tell me what's your relationship with Barbie? Did you play with them? Asking what Barbie I owned. That's kind of a complicated question because I had tubs of Barbies. Oh wow. Uh, I had the fr- I had a three foot tall pink plastic dream house. I have this picture. I'll show you guys later. It's of me playing in the dream house. Um, one of my earliest memories is watching a TV commercial for what I researched later was cool hair Barbie, which had fake scissors that allowed you to cut her hair. And what I did was I took a pair of hitching shears and then I made my own weird Barbie. I cut my Barbie's hair and then my mom got very, very upset. Um, and then also a friend of mine had the pre- pregnant Midge. Ah. So I remember playing with pregnant Midge because you just slap that baby in the torso and there you go. <laughs> so the pregnant so Barbie that appears in the movie is real. Oh, yeah. 
I remember watching commercials for Pregnant Midge as well. So yes. there you go. Okay. Well, good to know. Haircut Barbie. <laughs> hair Barbie. Um, Paris Burris, did you play with Barbies growing up? Obsessively. Yes. I was definitely a huge Barbie girl. And uh, it's interesting that you made us think about which Barbies we had because um, so I grew up buying my parents would buy most of my Barbies from the thrift store and that's how I would get most of the clothes for my Barbies Mm -hmm. or you know I never had like the house or anything but I had like a little car and I had like a closet and I mean that was all like from the thrift store you know and I mean they were always new to me (laughs) but I never really there were a few times I got them new out of the box but um so it was like i didn't know what barbies they were Mm. they became the barbies that i made them but Mm. i do remember some specific ones um but uh my favorite one of my favorites for sure was the tory generation barbie and i like looked her up because you know i hadn't thought about that in years and it's like 1998 Mm. and it's this barbie who she has a skateboard. Ooh. Ah, I love <laughs> nice. that. I loved that she had a skateboard because um, kind of like Laurent wasn't allowed to have Barbies growing up, I wasn't allowed to skateboard. Mm. And I really wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> I had um, a high school um, boyfriend who had gotten me a skateboard at one point, And I remember... Like my mom being like, you can't do that because you're going to scar up your face and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So like before that happened, I always had that dream of doing it. And I just never was allowed to because it was like a a thing for boys. Mm -hmm. Um, And I even remember like um, trying to convince my brother to do it (laughs) because I couldn't and he had no interest. Um, And he played Barbies with me. Um, it's oh, funny because, that. yeah, my, my younger brother is only 16 months younger than me. So we were very close. And I actually outgrew Barbies before he did. I will never I will never forget he came up to me one day and was just like, do you want to play Barbies? And I was oh, just wow. like, no. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Like it just, it just happened one day. I just outgrew them. I definitely never stopped loving them. But just, yeah. And um Tori, the Tori Barbie was also great because she also had two outfits. Mm -hmm. So she had kind of like a tomboy outfit with the baggy jeans and like Mm -hmm. a cool jacket. But she also had a red like mini dress Mm -hmm. and she had red lipstick. And I I also found that's a theme in my life. I really like embracing both my masculine and my feminine side. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, it was interesting to kind of revisit that. I, ha- cool. I have to ask this burning question. Do you have a skateboard now? No. Oh. <laughs> I would probably fall on my face. Uh, I don't know if I have the guts to do it now, but I certainly did back then. <laughs> That's the thing about skateboarding. You, you, like, they, they target you when you're really young and, and nimble, you know? And uh, have no fear of broken bones exactly. and hospitals right. and insurance. Yes. Yeah, I'm yes. 30 now, so I'm just like, <laughs> it's probably too late for me. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is crazy that the, the the skateboarding craze of like the late 90s, early aughts was through the roof, man. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. It's super cool, though, that you were able to vicariously skateboard through the Barbie, though, right? I couldn't do it, but Barbie could. Oh, man. Aww. That's so cool. Uh, well, I'm not going to add anything. I had sisters who had Barbies. I 
was a dumb boy and was like, Barbies are gay stuff. I want to play with transforming animals because that's totally okay and not weird. Um, <laughs> so I was more of a Transformers kid. My sisters did have Barbies. And, I th- you know, there were probably times I played with them. Like I was trying to remember a specific instance. Um, I d- we did have a big dollhouse that, and it was, a, and I don't think it was a Barbie house. It was just a giant dollhouse. And I remember setting like, Barbies and action figures and stuff inside of it. Um, not much more to add to that, though. My sisters, uh, if any of you are listening, you can feel free to let us know by sending us an email at thecinematropolis at gmail.com, and, and you can tell us which Barbies I played with, because I'm sure you remember better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, did you have any Ken dolls? Yeah. Oh, oh, this is the thing, is we, I only had three. Yeah, okay, okay you so know, the, you know, you know, you know. Yeah, so I had one Ken doll. <laughs> And, and then the other male doll I, was a G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. Because he was close enough. Yeah. 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 I had a off-brand tie-in, uh, Prince Eric. That's actually in the picture, um, is Prince Eric That's is on great. the floor. Um, I love but it. yeah, we'd always fight over the good Ken. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep. I was just curious. I was like, is that a universal experience? Yeah. yeah. You only have so many Barbies. All right. Well, let's move on to the second icebreaker question, which is... You are a Hollywood executive, and you're tasked with making a movie based on a beloved toy line. What is the toy? Who is the director? Who is the star? And what is the elevator pitch for the plot? Alexandra Bohannon, I'm starting with you. Okay, I took mine a direction. My toy, Beanie Babies. (laughs) My director is Sean Baker, who did Tangerine Florida Project, uh, starring Robert Pattinson and Emma Stone. Pitch, set in the height of the Beanie Babies craze, grifter Robert Pattinson travels the country with his get-rich-quick scheme on how to make millions selling Beanie Babies. He meets truck stop sex worker Emma Stone to team up in a darkly heartfelt and darkly poignant tale of the true cost of those furry plastic pellet toys. Sold. <laughs> yep, sold. I just love the idea, the contrast of that director and the tone with the idea of Beanie Babies, which... Yeah, and I feel like Sean Baker does like that, like Middle America, just like yes. where it was a crazy. I know my mom was oh, yeah. crazy about it here in Oklahoma. Yeah, like I think that would be such a cool element yeah. too. I would love to see a, a movie about Beanie Babies where the the conclusion is the end, where where the per- somebody flashes forward to today, and they're like, "Damn, if I'd only." put that money into Pokemon cards or Legos instead. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? seriously. Like, I read, I read, like, a study that, like, Legos, if you'd bought them and just kept them in the box, like, the value, they're, they're, the way that their value has, is more solid than most stocks. Like, Dang. in terms of, like, how much value it's it's gained year to year, which is insane. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Paris Burris, what is your pitch? I was... Thinking about just what toys did I love as a kid besides Barbie, you know, and um, again, I came back. I don't know if anybody remembers Skateboard Shannon. I don't know. RC, a remote control um, toy who had a skateboard. I'm realizing now how big skateboarding was for me as a kid <laughs> because it was, it was something that I couldn't do, I guess. Right. And I was just like obsessed with toys who could do it because I could, like you said, kind of like live vicariously through them. But um, so I would love to see a skateboard Shannon movie. 
set in the Mattel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Uh, directed by Drew Barrymore because mm. she did Whip It. Yes. And she hasn't directed a movie in 14 years. Wow. And it makes me so upset. It was so good. <laughs> it was so Whip good. It was good. And like... You know, I just feel like she could totally kill a movie like that. She has, you know, the humor sense and the comedy sense to make it like fun. And I was thinking of who would the lead be. And the one I got most excited about is Zendaya because, nice. again, like two child stars mm -hmm. um, and amazing actors coming together, Drew Barrymore and Zendaya, I think would be amazing. And Zendaya is somebody who hasn't really gotten an opportunity to do a lot of comedy, yet mm, she's mm -hmm. absolutely hilarious. Like in mm -hmm. Euphoria when she's dancing around in the kitchen, like high off of her mind, it's so funny. Yes. And like she, even in like other roles, she's gotten to do a little bit of it. But I, I am obsessed with the idea of her doing something that's like straight comedy. Her physicality is mm -hmm. amazing. And I just think Drew Barrymore really just needs to direct something because I just am dying for her to make something. Listen, I talk, just love her. Talk shows are about to go on a hiatus for a while. She can start working on the script <laughs> privately, right? Love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. That's a yeah. great one. Man, whip it. Uh, what a great movie. Yeah. yeah. Like just unexpectedly great movie mm -hmm. that just came out of nowhere. It was really good. Yeah. Glad mm -hmm. you brought that up. Now I want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Lauren Chapman, great. what is your pitch? Well, and it's also funny that she says that because Steven Spielberg came on the Drew Barrymore show and says, Drew, I need you to direct again. You need to do it. All right. We all need it. need it. Desperately. Like if Steven Spielberg is telling you that you need to direct more movies, he's you like, I it. loved Whip It. You need to make another movie. And she she kind of nodded, smile, you know, and smiled oh. like, it's not, not I wouldn't. I just. Well, made, she just she needed did, the just, right idea. She doesn't have a project. It. And you <laughs> just gave it to her. So exactly. I will tag Drew Barrymore. This <laughs> <laughs> the pitch does itself at this point. Exactly. She should at least give you a consulting fee. Come on, Paris. Exactly. <laughs> like if Greg Rover could do it. Come on. Like she's already. Yeah. So. Um, for me, I went a little bit of a darker route because yes. um, I was just trying to find anything. I didn't really play with toys too much. Um, I was much more like a TV, like, you know, I watched cartoons and whatever. But um, what I do remember playing with a lot that gave me a lot of anxiety was Operation. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I, but yeah. what a anxiety-inducing oh, yeah. game. Like, the whole point is not to hear the buzz. It's just like. Get shocked, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. It's like. Yeah, there's a lot of things about that 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 just kind of like stay etched in my memory. So I was thinking Operation directed by David Cronenberg. <gasps> oh, God. Whoa. I also what? went the Robert Pattinson route as the star. Yes. This is where I before, and I just like, I just love love seeing how he's evolved as an actor from Twilight. Yes, um, yes. And I'm just, like my, my elevator pitched very simple, just creepy surgeon who's mastered the anatomical form is approached to create a concept slash toy replica mass produced to kids. So um, I know I'm sure that's not the history behind Operation. It probably has its own history, but my imagined history is that some creepy surgeon guy is the reason why that is a game for kids because otherwise, why? <laughs> why would you <laughs> traumatize these children? Interesting. So, I yeah. That. That's good. You guys is way better than mine. <laughs> okay, so here, here's what I got. Here's what I got. I'm thinking it is... Monopoly. Okay. Okay. 
and directed by Craig Gillespie. Obviously, he's got this dumb money movie coming out, and that was probably what spurred the idea. Essentially, the movie is going to um, star actually also Robert Pattinson. We what love is the... Rob Pattinson. Come on, we stand <laughs> Rob Pattinson. I, I want to see him do well because I want to play. I want to see him play a, a sleazy corporate guy. So this is a dude. It's going to start very Wolf. Of, it's very Wolf of Wall Street with Robert Pattinson. Uh, essentially, he's a guy. Uh, his uncle passes away, gives him five hundred bucks, and says, "Go invest." And the whole movie is about how he climbs the corporate ladder via selling Monopoly boards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of making money, before we get into our review of Barbie, I want to talk about box office performance here. Now, we are going to talk more about Barbenheimer as a whole next week. Needless to say, the one thing I will say about the double feature is last weekend, I guess it would be two weekends ago by the time you're listening to this, the opening weekend for Barbie and Oppenheimer was way bigger we, we were thinking it was going to be good, but it was way bigger than we expected. Between the two films, they grossed $235.5 million, which is the fourth highest selling box office opening in history. You want to guess what the other three highest grossing weekends were? I'm going to think one of them is maybe Harry Potter. Nope. Wow. Okay. Lord of the Rings? Nope. All, you think more recent? Oh. Oh. Endgame? Yes. Okay. Endgame, wow. Infinity War. And Star Wars The Force Awakens okay. are the only three weekends bigger than Barbenheimer Weekend. That's crazy. Currently, right? In our lifetime. Too. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's I, I, you, I, I was surprised, too, but I guess with inflation, the cost oh, of new tickets, it, it explains yeah. it. But, um, but yeah, uh, so massive, massive, massive. Again, we're going to unpack more of, like, both box office performances next week. Uh, but I wanted to just note, huge runaway success. What did you guys think? Wasn't it great to go to the movies last weekend and, like, yeah. just see... The theater's packed. Yeah. Concession stands full of pink dudes and suits. Shorts. Yeah. Pipes in their mouths. I saw Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. Let's talk, uh, talk a little bit more about the theater going experience, and then I'll unpack box office results. Alex, what was your experience with sort of like seeing Barbie in the theater? Oh, it was just so fantastic. I mean, you knew who was there. Everyone, the theater was much busier than normal. And then you also, because everyone was wearing pink or pastels or fun prints, you knew who, everyone was there to basically see Barbie and then sometime, you know, tack on the double feature if they felt like it. Um, Everyone just was really excited in leaving the theater. I noticed that, maybe this will get into spoilers, I felt women were channeling the Barbie energy into the real world. So there was a lot more, oh my gosh, I love your outfit. There was a lot of, a lot of compliments and sisterhood vibes and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, and I just thought that was really, what a wonderful, powerful thing to kind of have coming out of the theater and into the parking lot after the, the feature, Mm -hmm. the double feature for me. That's super fun. Paris, what was your experience at the theater? Just in general, watching Barbie. Yeah. So I went to, um, an early access screening at uh, Moore Warren. Um, nice. I went with a friend, and it the was the, bl- the blowout party thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Because I was like, man, I I have to see this as soon as possible. Yes. Like, I can't wait an extra day or two. I have to see it now. Um, and yeah, no, it was uh, fun. It was a packed house. So many people dressed up. People of all ages, all genders. Um, it was a great crowd. I mean, everyone was laughing. I laughed harder in that movie than I've laughed in a long time. Um, it was just so much fun. And like, 
you know, I think we all can agree that it's been a while since we've had an experience like that, you know, mm -hmm. just for like um, something that's not Marvel, you know? Especially something that's right. not Marvel. Um, yeah. Or Star Wars. Right. Something that's not already like you expect that. Um, this was kind of like a surprise. And I think I was listening to something and they were like, how did we all know to wear pink? Right? Because... I'm sure that it was implanted in our brain through marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like no one said, hey, wear pink to the Barbie movie. We just all knew. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was the, yeah, just a great collective. Um, everyone was just happy having a great time. And definitely also a lot of sniffles and um, mm -hmm. <laughs> emotions and like all of that too. Definitely a lot of crying and just, it was just like. It it was just everything. Awesome. Yeah. Laurent Chapman, what was your experience like? Yeah, I mean, I go Paris and, and Alex's sentiments. I think that it's just that it they inventized it again. Like movies going to the going to the movies being an event. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a thing we are seeing right now. Especially as Paris noted for non Marvel, non Star Wars, not you know what I mean? Like this Absolutely. is the first movie in this yeah. air quotes franchise because you can think of a big movie like something like the sequel to avatar which like you know say what you want whether you what you feel about either one of those but the thing is that i mean it's the third highest grossing movie of all again time. but that's what i'm saying it's a huge movie but no one is there dressed up in blue yeah. no one's like doing the cosplay you know what i'm saying it just hasn't it doesn't have the same cultural sweep you know what I mean? Like they make a lot of money and it's a weird thing because it's kind of this vacuous thing where it's like people go to see it, they digest it, but then there's not like a whole lot of deep conversation following it. You know what I mean? Like where we should listen to our three hour podcast. We should listen to it. Well, except for when we talked about it. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> but, um, we made it deep. <laughs> we made it. We, yeah, we made it deep um, for better or for worse. But um, but I also feel like, you know, here it's interesting that something that I otherwise for me personally, like, you know, when they announced they were making one, I just didn't have a huge, like, strong interest to, like, like, why do we need that? What's that about? Like, whatever. Because, I mean, my only, like, access point to it would be, like, life-size, you know, like, if, if for people who've seen that with the Tyra Banks and another, another Disney movie about a, a doll come to life. And while I watched that movie on repeat as a kid, um, I'm at a certain age now where I don't think that kind of you know, idea or concept would interest me. Um, and so um, to have Greta Gerwig's name and Noah Baumbach, like that that combination, I just, it immediately opened the possibility because I knew that I was like, I love, I'm a stand for Gerwig. So I'm like, if there's, if she's behind it, it's not going to be brainless. There's going to be something very, you know what I mean? Like um, tangible to take away from it. And so all of a sudden the concept of a Barbie movie in her hands became this like, what is that going to be? You know, like, and so that, that definitely um, charged me. So it was the theater going experience was great. Um, I thought um, it was beautiful to just see people back in the theater and, and enthusiastic. And I think it's the movie we needed right now. Right. And, and listeners again, the audio only podcast, but uh, both Paris and Laurent are wearing Greta Gerwig shirts. So uh, these yeah. are, I mean, and Alex and I are wearing uh, Oppenheimer slash. Alex has got a tie dye Oppenheimer shirt on, and I've got my Barbenheimer shirt on. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Greta Gerwig stands at this table. Uh, yeah, you know, I, the only thing I'm, and you guys have said it all, uh, Paris, I also went to a blowout party. It was up at the uh, Dolby Cinema at AMC. And I just, you're right. Like, I knew we were wearing pink, but like, I did not expect to show up and everybody. I was wearing my pastel shorts, and I was, well, I was wearing this shirt, it has pink on it, but like, Every other guy was wearing a pink shirt. There were women in pink dresses. And I was like, 
how did we know? Mm-hmm. How did we all like? And we it got it got so excited about the possibility, it, it, and it felt like cosplay without cosplay, you know, like in a good way. Like everyone just this feels. I know it was smart marketing, but also all of this feels organic mm-hmm. yeah. in a way. You know, like the excitement felt genuine yeah. and authentic, and not. It's going to sound awful. I didn't feel like people were cosplaying. Well, we have to. It's a Star Wars movie or Marvel movie. Right. It's people just said, hey, what if we all just dressed up? Yeah. And then everyone, but then everyone did it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and True I was, magic. I was nervous because when I went, you know, it was before everyone had seen the movie. I hadn't right. seen, oh, everyone's dressing up. Like, so when I showed up, I actually wore like a red dress because I didn't have anything pink, mm-hmm. but my second screening, I had something pink. So, yes. but I still got very dolled up and just, I think that was more what it was about. Less so pink, but just getting like yeah. dressed up and like making an event of it. And, yeah. but I was nervous. I was like, am I going to be the only one? Like, right. is anyone else going to go this hard? And everyone did. Everyone. And it was awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. it's still that way. I mean, I went and saw a movie yesterday and I still saw people in like pink dresses at like three o'clock in the afternoon. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's just, uh, I love it. It's so exciting. And, you know, I say that everyone wear pink. It could be dressing up in some form. But it was the, clearly those people were here to see Barbie. Let's break this down, though. The How many people actually showed up to see Barbie? Well, from a box office perspective, Barbie is the runaway success of the summer. And it's opening weekend. We talked about the combo weekend. Well, guess what? Uh, out of the 235 mil, 155 of that came from Barbie. And what's interesting is I think Warner Brothers was as surprised as all of us because they were projecting the movie to open at 75 million, mm-hmm. half uh, as big as it is. Barbie's cultural cachet carried it far past those expectations and helped it earn some new titles in the process. So uh, these are a few of the records it broke on opening weekend. Uh, highest preview ticket sales of, of the year, 22.2 million. Uh, again, that's according to Variety. Biggest single debut of the year, 70.5 million between Thursday and Friday sales. Biggest North American opening for a movie directed by a woman, beating out 2019's Captain Marvel, which was co directed by Anna Borden. Uh, that one brought in 153 million. And then it also beat 2017's Wonder Woman, which is directed by Patty Jenkins, and that movie clocked 103 million. Uh, And then according to uh, film consultant and box office analyst David Gross, this is the biggest debut for a comedic film. Uh, Gross had said to the New York Times that that no comedy has opened higher than 85.9 million over a three-day weekend. In addition, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do remember reading that it was the biggest Monday, biggest Tuesday following the weekend of all time, Mm. beating out the Dark Knight numbers, Dark Knight from 2008. This is just... Uh, a runaway success. It's it just crossed uh, as of this recording. I just read yesterday it crossed over five hundred million dollars, and we haven't even gotten through the second weekend yet. Uh, this thing's gonna crack a billion dollars worldwide easily. This is gonna, frankly, gonna outperform a lot of the standalone most of the standalone Marvel films. This is a really, really special film. Uh, with all that said, though, let's get into our spoiler-free review of Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yeah. You guys ever think about dying? <laughs> When my heart breaks Some things have been happening that might be related When my world shakes Cold shower Falling off my roof 
and my heels are on the ground. <gasps> According to IMDb, Barbie is described as Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and existence. So a few fun facts to provide some context for Barbie. This is Greta Gerwig's uh, fourth feature film following her 2008 debut, uh, Nights and Weekends, 2017's Lady Bird, and 2019's Little Women. Uh, the script is written by Gerwig and her partner, Noah Baumbach. So Noah Baumbach is probably known, uh, you might know him from Netflix's The Marriage Story. He also directed Francis Ha, While We're Young, a number of other beloved films, I would say. A little bit of production history. This film has been in development since at least 2009 when Mattel signed a deal with Universal. After nothing came to fruition in that specific regime, Sony Pictures was brought in to do a treatment and picked up the rights. That version got pretty far in development. It included several known people, respected writers and directors stars, such as Diablo Cody, who is most famous for writing Juno, Amy Schumer as the director, and then Anne Hathaway was attached as the star while it was being in, developed at Sony. But in 20, October 2018, Sony's option on the project expired because, uh, long story short, they didn't get the movie made in time. And via Mattel, the project was transferred and sold over to Warner Brothers Pictures, and that's when Margot Robbie would be brought on as a producer in 2019 through her company, Lucky Chap Entertainment. And that was when she was also cast as the lead. And it was Margot Robbie who offered the writing, directing job to Greta Gerwig in 2021 following the success of 2019's Little Women. With that said, what did we think of the movie? We're going to do spoiler-free thoughts here for a moment. And just want to note, again, we're probably going to spend a lot more time in the spoiler section. Uh, so we'll be kind of general and vague in the spoiler-free area. Uh, what are your overall thoughts about Barbie? Paris Burris, I'll start with you. I loved it so much. I love it so much. I just want to watch it over and over and over again. Um, I've only been able to see it twice, but I predict I'll be watching it many more times, um, both in the theater and when it is available outside of the theater. Um, I mean, I'm a big Greta Gerwig fan. So I, ever since I saw Lady Bird in 2017, I just like have been obsessed with her. Um, and so I had high expectations and high hopes and was just like, this is my event. Like this movie is for me <laughs> and that never happened. So, um, I think it's something that like on the outside, like with the marketing and everything, how it's been kind of like advertised, you don't know what to expect. Like, even me, I, I went and watched all of the movies on Greta Gerwig's official Barbie list. Um, and I had a lot of context going in, and I mm -hmm. kind of knew exactly what to expect, but I still was surprised. And so I just think that that's really hard to do nowadays because so many trailers just give the movie away. And you know exactly what the movie is going to be, basically. And, like, this was so surprising. So I think it, it subverts expectations it's fun, but it's also very heartfelt and deals with, like, a lot of heavy topics. But um, I think it's – to me, I just keep um, comparing it to, like, a pop song because it's, like, really cheery and happy and fun on the outside. But if you, like, listen to the lyrics or in this case, you know, um, pay attention to what is actually happening in the movie, it's really not that fun and cheerful. Um, but I just keep – calling it like sugar for the pill because hmm. 
much for me, like this movie is my sugar for the pill because like life is hard. Sometimes I just want to go to the movie, have fun for a couple hours and just forget about life. And that's exactly what this movie is for me and many people. Um, and I just think that that is kind of like the essence of the movie. Yeah, well said. Uh, and again, we're going to get into a lot of those things more some of the uh, ideas and messages that the movie is really talking a lot about in the spoiler section. Uh, I think that's really well said though. Alexandra Bohannon, what did you think of Barbie? I really enjoyed the film. I thought the, the actual film product we saw on the screen, the production design, the performances, the soundtrack, um, everything was done to basically the nines. I can tell that a lot of care and thought and attention to detail. If you guys have seen the Architectural Digest uh, walkthrough through the Barbie dream house. Yes. The attention to detail that those production designers have. Oh, it's genius. It's beautiful. The costuming, all of that. Uh, I laugh. I cried. I felt like I was being personally attacked and then also personally celebrated <laughs> at times. Um, I have my struggles less with some of with some of the things depicted on screen. I have conversations more dealing with the legacy of Barbie off screen that uh, that personally I have to wrestle with and make peace with. But as for the actual thing I saw on screen, I enjoyed it. And it is exactly what I hoped and wanted it to be actually better because I didn't want it to just be a brainless piece of pop culture media. There was at least there was something there and that allowed us to have larger conversations um, when in the car ride home kind of talk. So. That's where I'm at. Who would have thought a Barbie movie would stem uh, would really be like the the spark that would start so many conversations, like meaningful conversations, meaningful conversations, mm -hmm. definitely. Well, Ron Chapman, what did you think of Barbie? I also loved it, um, and I think that this absolutely had to be directed by a woman because there is oh, there is yeah. a universe where this could have been directed by a man, and it would have been this. I mean, really, I mean, I mean, it, this awful product placement, like it would have missed. The, an opportunity to have the kind of conversations that we're having right now. So the fact that it it walks this tricky tightrope of celebrating and also skewering, you know, the brand, you know, is such a it's such a really genius like uh, juggling act that she actually pulls off here because we're laughing at. I mean, even the marketing it's it's tied into it. If you love Barbie, if you hate Barbie, this movie is for you, and that's absolutely true. You know, it's definitely not just celebrating and, and shying away from all of the kind of hurtful, um, I don't know what you say, unattainable beauty standards that maybe this this product has kind of represented over the time. But like the world has evolved and changed, so too has Barbie. And I think that it recognizes that and it um, it, it talks about that that complicated history in a very entertaining, fun, and, and meaningful way. And then just conceptually and thematically, it works. And the fact that you can make this really meaningful, you know, you know, talking piece kind of, of, of a movie about, like, again, really important topics, gender politics, the role of women in society, the objectification of women in society, all these things are, are packaged into it or baked into the story. And then it's also just, like, like this cotton candy hued beautiful thing to look at just on an artistic level. So it works both as a piece of just cinema as well as being about something meaningful and impactful. Yeah, well said. So here's here's my position. 
I don't know if we needed a Barbie movie, but I also don't think we needed how many Transformers movies. Like, they all, <laughs> but we'll get into it in spoilers. But like, there's all these films based off properties that my, my take is, I don't know if we needed this movie, dot, dot, dot. But I am so thankful that we got this movie. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yes. like, I don't know if we need a Barbie movie, but if we're going to get one, this is the best possible yeah. outcome. Sure. Because it's such a subversive film. It's able to be really uh, introspective. It, it's honest about the history and legacy of Barbie, both good and bad. Despite what certain neckbeard sexist misogynists on the internet will tell you, like, this movie is not anti-men. I actually think it's very pro women and men. I, I like it's it, it 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 tackles so many of these nuanced ideas related to feminism, to capitalism, to beauty, and it really breaks them all down and wrestles with it on the screen and leaves you with if it doesn't have conclusive answers, it leaves you with a lot of things to think and talk about. And the fact that we're able to get that and something that, as Laurent put, could have just been such a soulless cash grab is amazing. And I I don't think Greta Gerwig is the only one who could have directed this movie, written and directed this movie. Whenever it got announced that she was doing it, I was like, huh, I don't really want this movie. Again. But why would she be interested in right, doing it? exactly. You know, like, and it's like, that's the thing. And I know she wouldn't sell out in a way where she was just like, I'm going to, which is what some people are arguing she has done. And I don't know. I don't think she sold out at all. Right. I, I mean, we're going to talk about what this one spoilers. We're in a really dire period in the history of Hollywood where if you want to work with the budget, and this goes for almost everybody at this point. Yeah. If you want to work with a budget, you have to, from a studio, you have to be doing stuff like adaptations of toys or pre-existing property. And it, it, it yeah. I don't need to sell out, though. I, I just want to say I needed this movie. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think I needed this Fair. movie. And I'm, I want to reiterate, I don't want to sound like dismissive. I think that we got an amazing film. What a magnificent experience. I'll start with you, Paris. I mean, do you think this movie effectively satirizes and celebrates the character to, to a great effect? I mean, it's definitely a satire. It's definitely very satirical, and it's definitely a celebration. So, I mean, yeah, I think overall I would agree with that statement. Alex, did it work both ways for you? I think it celebrates the, the character definitely, but satire may be a word too far. I think it feels more of a, at times, a send up, a roast um, of some of the things of Barbie, but an effective satire also has to not just look at the funny parts of, the funny, interesting, kind of weird, quirky parts of Barbie's history, but also some of the actual negative, the real negative parts of Barbie's history. It's not just Sasha's being a hater in certain sequences uh, on on who Barbie is as a, as a person. Um, a very extremely pessimistic viewpoint is that it assuages millennial mom guilt for buying their daughter's Barbies. I know that this is, it's an IP. It is intended at some point to sell product, but it's doing so in a way that I'm not upset about. And I really thoroughly enjoyed. I think that some of the conversations I've been at the periphery of online think that you can't acknowledge both that you had an enjoyable time watching Barbie and that you thought it was a really smart take and it went to some really interesting places, but then also acknowledge this isn't des designed to sell products. Um, you can hold both of those ideas in your head at the same time. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing, I'm the target demographic for this film. 
And I liked it. I liked it when the, the waiter came up to me at Flicks and called me Barbie. I almost cried, you know, <laughs> like that's that means something to people. Right. So it's complicated. I think that's kind of where we're where I'm personally at. Celebrates definitely satirizes, maybe sends up a roast for me personally. It's just take some nuance. Why is everything so nuanced, Caleb? God. Oh, I think for me, it's not satirizing Barbie. It's satirizing the human existence. Yeah. Mm. 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 Especially Which cat. we definitely see the dark side of that with sexual yes. assault and yeah. all of yeah. that. I think that's what it's satirizing. Mm. Capitalism, especially. Okay. And I think there's a, like I mean, that, like a Mattel. That. It definitely satirizes Mattel, I would argue, to, to a... How how much how successfully it satirizes Mattel? I don't know, but th there's some there's some yeah we'll talk about it in spoilers. Lorana, what are your thoughts here? Do you think this is a good balance between the sat you know kind of a sort of poking fun and satirizing? Yeah, and yeah mostly I think so. I I feel like it also I mean we need it it needed to to challenge the th these perceptions and every and our thoughts about it. And I think if it if it failed to address them, this would have. This would not. This would be a very, you know what I mean, like a film that we would have really had some angry emotions towards. Because I think to just completely disregard the fact that there are issues with this product over time, with some, you know, like like what it's represented for some people, and what, and I think that that history was so important to acknowledge. But they found a way to celebrate the joy that all of us have kind of described in in you know earlier in the episode that we got from playing with Barbies because that is not nothing. It meant something to us, you know what I mean, and and that was the magic imaginative thing that they were actually able to you know you know harness out of this product. Um, but that doesn't mean that behind the curtain there there weren't some icky things that may have gone into some agendas that would have in that it, that's the beauty of it is that I knew that if Greta was going to tackle it, that she was going to, you know what I mean? Find a way to have those both conversations at the same time. Yeah. To follow up with that. Definitely. Um, in the times cover story, cause Barbie's um the big Barbie articles on the cover of times right now, um, uh, Margaret Robbie had laid the groundwork, um, with Mattel's current CEO, um, when she met with him originally in 2018, um, and this is the quote from the article. In that very first meeting, we impressed upon Yanon, apologies for the name, uh, if I mispronounced it, we are going to honor the legacy of your brand, but if we don't acknowledge certain things, if we don't say it, someone else is going to say it, mm -hmm. she says. So we might as well be a part of that conversation. Yep. So that was like day one groundwork for Barbie. It's like, we gotta engage. Otherwise they're gonna, they're gonna roast us for it really hard. I mean, deservedly so. Parker Robbie's such a badass. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been watching a lot of interviews with her, obviously. It's easy to assume that she's just a really great acting talent, but nah, she's got the business sense, and at least in the interviews I've seen, it's been, like, crazy humble. This movie wouldn't exist without her. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. She's essential um, to the success of Barbie. I've been trying to do a lot of listening, because as I said earlier, I didn't really play with Barbies. And I think a common thing I'm hearing from a lot of women that I'm talking to or hearing from on podcasts, reading online, um, even some women critics, is the idea that we like to think, especially in America, uh, like to think of progress as a straight line. But it's really not. It's more like a, it's a lot more jagged. Sometimes you take steps back before you take steps forward. And the thing that's been interesting is there's a lot of constructive conversation in this film about 
Barbie's setting women back, painting them as bimbos and dumb, and you know, fill in the blank, X, Y, Z, simplifying women to their looks and all that. But at the same time, the thing I've heard a lot about from a lot of women who, who play with Barbies growing up is Barbie went to the moon. Barbie was an executive. Barbie was a doctor. There was one lady who said, I never realized that women could be doctors until I got uh, a Dr. Barbie. And I was just like, that's really powerful uh, a core memory for, I mean, I, I'd say a lot of people in general, but especially women, to say, I didn't know what was possible until I Barbie did it. There's some push and pull here, and I think mm -hmm. Alex, that quote summed up really well. I think the film does acknowledge both successfully. My criticism lies more in how the film grapples with the impact of capitalism and the patriarchy, yes. um, <laughs> which we'll get into in spoilers. And I don't think the film fails at it, but I think it's just you're in the precarious position of Mattel is the one who's making this movie. So you can only take it so far. Doesn't mean the movie's bad. Doesn't mean the movie's a failure. It's just the movie has to soften certain things, I feel like, a little bit. Um, but in terms of Barbie, the the character, the product, the IP, I think the movie does a magnificent job at kind of uh, really diving into both. Uh, hey, we're going to spend a lot more time in spoilers, but real quick, let's get to letter grades and alternate media recommendations. Paris Burris, what letter grade would you give Barbie? A big fat A+. Plus. Woo! <laughs> Bring it up. Alex? Uh, I had to do percentages because that's how conflicted I am about everything. I think I might be being a little harsh, but I give it an 89.5. I mean, it is so on a almost, it is the B-est plus the A-est <laughs> minus of that little line there for me personally. And I think that's maybe more of me and my personal feelings towards the film. The film on screen is definitely worthy of accolades and Oscars and all the things, but there's nuance, Caleb. God, I'll just keep saying that over and over and over again. Awesome. Love love it. So much nuanced conversation coming very shortly. Leron Chapman, what letter grade would you give Barbie? Yeah, I think the experience of it for me, I, I, yeah. I give it an I give it an A minus. And I think that um my biggest gripe, which is minor in the in the whole big scheme of things, the biggest argument I've heard from many people is that it's there's so many ideas thrown at the screen and it just doesn't know tonally how mm. to tackle all of it. Mm. Personally, I don't I didn't have that issue with it. You know, like I, I felt like it addresses each of these issues thoughtfully. Um, maybe we could have spent more time with each of them, but then you'd have a three hour movie. Um, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe there's there's room for growth in that space, assuming that there's more of these movies. I imagine there will be given the amount of uh, money that this one did, how successful it is. Um, but honestly, my biggest personal gripe was the supporting cast I thought was fantastic oh, in yeah. this, but I think criminally underused in my yeah. opinion. Issa Rae is such a hilarious comedian to yeah. me. And I think that as playing President Barbie, she has a few moments, but I really didn't. I feel like each of those characters could have been given just a little bit more screen time or just some kind of a more dynamic arc with each of them. I think being President Barbie is such a smart a smart move and then they get and then obviously like from a culturally inclusive nature to give the black the black barbie that role is sounds so big and i just expected a little bit more from that you know what i mean like and that's me again that's a personal gripe from my own i don't think that's unfair though because i've i have seen some uh women and again i'm not uh, i'm just telling you i'm uh, reiterating what i've read from you know uh, african-american women film television critics and that's the thing they had that's probably been a, a consistent theme is like hey this movie's great Wish there would have been more representation and meaningful uh, time, and, screen time. And the time yeah. and care has been there. And I want to say like my critique is not that they weren't 
that they're there, they're present, and they felt like the experience of working on it. Issa Rae said she had a wonderful time working on it and that she felt very at home and that her ideas were considered and all of that. So this is not like a critique, I think, of, of Greta Gerwig like not doing enough you know what I mean? More so than I just think it would have made for an even more interesting film if we had gotten to see, like, say, um, like, since she's the part, the you know, like, the women are all the Supreme Court. I love that concept. Such but a I really think they a missed opportunity was there for them to not, like, have, like, this really big, like, I don't know, like, thing to to uh, deliberate on or whatever. Like, you know, just seeing all of the Barbies come together and bring their own, and you know, their own individual conflicts because I'm sure there's a little black girl playing with the black Barbie that has her own unique experience. You know what I mean? That she's imprinting under her own. And, and I just think that some of those things were maybe out of the writer's lens. You know what I mean? Right. If that speaks. So it's less of a, you know, it's not a huge gripe, but it's just something I, I hope to see a little bit more of. But yeah, I, I do agree. The thing I would, and I think it's actually late time. I'm going to give it an a minus. Ken gets a lot of screen time and listen, Ken's amazing. I mean, Ryan Gosling as Ken yeah. is amazing. Barbie obviously is the star, but he, if you're, there was a lot of screen time allocated to him that perhaps they may could have shared the love a little bit among a couple of the other supporting players. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm not mad. I thought the dance numbers, both of them that Ken got were both freaking amazing. So yeah. it's not that what was there is bad as much as it's what's not there and how they could yeah. have utilized that time a little differently. Sure. Could might have better served some of the kind of feminist ideas uh, that are kind of writing throughout the film. Do you guys think, because this is a thing, am I, I'm still buying the Seal Book Blu-ray day it comes out. Do you guys think there's going to be a, an extended director's cut? Because that's the thing I keep holding out for. Hmm. I don't know. I don't Maybe know. See, I want sexy featurettes all day long with production <laughs> design, but that's the thing. I'm like, if there's a director's cut, and that's I mean, I, like two hours. Maybe we'll. I wouldn't be mad. I, w- I would take more. That's the thing. The movie's great. I would actually. T- I don't think it's too long. I would actually take. I wouldn't mind a little more, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah so again, uh, I think uh, all of us loved the film to varying degrees. Uh, real quick, uh, what alternate media recommendations would you have for our listeners? So it could be a movie, television show, novel, music, video game, etc. And uh, Alexandra Bohannon, I'll start with you. Ooh, long list. So I'll keep it short. Uh, there's a great book called Forever Barbie. It's the unofficial history of Barbie. I read that during the pandemic. It's by M.G. Lord. Uh, it's really great. I'm going to talk about it in spoilers. Um, I mentioned off air, but I'll mention it again. Uh, drag queen Trixie Mattel has a decade of dolls uh, YouTube series in which she goes over her Barbie collection and then explores the nuances from the 60s all the way to the 90s and present. Uh, there's a really great video essay that is, it's pretty harsh, but it has a lot of really interesting, fair to some degree critique of, uh, the film called the plastic feminism of Barbie. It's by YouTuber Verily Bitchily. Um, I'd also recommend the Lego movie in like a pure film recommendation standpoint. Um, and then as a really interesting double feature fight club. (laughs) That would, cause there's some tonal, not like tone necessarily, but there's the thematic similarities that I think are, would be a really interesting to implac with both of those films. About masculinity? Yes. Yeah. 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 Ooh. Yeah. Man. <sighs> yeah, that's good, Alex. I Thank like that you. a lot. Yeah, that'd be a good, I think that'd be a good day. Yeah. Again, the, the key is the people who watch that double feature need to really know what they're supposed to watch for. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Not right. a playbook. <laughs> yeah, right. It, yeah, exactly. Harris Burris, what would you recommend to listeners? If you have uh, the opportunity to go find Greta Gerwig's official Barbie watch list, 
go watch the movies you haven't seen on that list because I watched 26 movies that were on the list that I hadn't seen. And they were all, I mean, there were some that I wasn't super fond of, but the vast majority of them I super enjoyed. And um, I think there are going to be some ones you've probably been meaning to watch and haven't watched, or there will be ones that you haven't even heard of before. Um, and I think, uh, if you can, yeah, just go find that list and go find the movies on there that you haven't seen and go watch them because not only are they like amazing, but it gives you more context to the movie as well. And also I would say black Barbie, if you can go find that somewhere, black Barbie by Legeria Davis, who is, uh, from Oklahoma and went to school here and everything. Um, I got to see that through dead center film festival and, I mean, I don't know when it's going to be available or how people are going to be able to watch it eventually, but just have it on your radar and try to like, just have that, you know, in the back of your mind, Black Barbie. I want to see that when it comes out because it's a really amazing documentary. Yeah. Um, I have other recommendations, but that was one of mine as well. Black, uh, Black Barbie, a documentary. We actually had an interview with Legia Davis from Dead Center that you can listen to uh, listeners um, earlier in the podcast. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but again, if especially if that part of you feeling like there was maybe a little less representation among the supporting cast uh, or at least screen time wise that you want to dig into. Um, I watched Black Barbie at Dead Center. Uh, kudos to the amazing work of the two people I'm sitting across from. So Paris and Laurent and all the t- team members over there. Eye opening documentary. You're like, oh, I didn't even know <laughs> it was a thing. And I felt like I learned so much and it has so much to say about a lot of the ideas that this film, I think, is uh, grappling with as well. So sure. great, great recommend, Paris. Laurent Chapman. Oddly, I had Black Barbie on my list as well. So there's three recommendations for you all to go uh, seek it out wherever you can. Um, because I do think that that was one aspect of the story that I was like, I had the luxury of seeing that one first. And so to see that first and to see this, you know, and to think how much of that history because it's its own history, you know. The black, the the line of just the black Barbie doll has its own contained history um, that that was happening simultaneously, but it definitely has different different avenues that it goes through that to be brought in. And maybe that's just not the movie that we that we were supposed to be seeing here. Like there, this is a diff, about a different topic, you know. And there's maybe there's room for that in a different space. But um, I'd recommend that. I'd also recommend Greta Gerwig's just body of work. Um, some of the stuff she's acted in is great. Frances Hall is one of my favorite movies. Um, but then also the films we've mentioned that she's directed all like she's taking these properties like little women, a story that I, I did, I never really particularly cared for the older versions of it, but her version of it, um, recontextualizing it and just giving it this fresh, like, uh, this fresh modern take, you know, that had, um, all of the same things that the, the old films had, but, with this this modern sensibility of an enlightened woman that could give these characters agency, even in the context of a world where, in a time period when they didn't have it, um, was just a really interesting, like way to reimagine the story, you know. And so that's how I also knew that in dealing with gender and 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 the role of women, that that Greta was going to bring something really unique to to Barbie, and she did. Yeah. So check out any of Greta Gerwig's films if you haven't seen it. Lady Bird, Little Women, great stuff. Uh, I'm going to go into slightly different, two not related, seemingly related films. First one, I'm thinking of uh, a great film about someone who's kind of awakened um, and they learn a lot about themselves. The Truman Show starring Jim Carrey. I think there's some similarities specifically to about the first half of this movie and the beginning of the Truman Show that kind of line up. Hey, everything's perfect. Everything is great uh, until you realize there's 
a lot more to your existence than uh, you imagined. Yeah. Uh, so number one, the other one, if you really want a movie that is all about taking down the capitalist patriarchy, Sorry to Bother You uh, by Boots Riley. Uh, what a wild movie, but man, if, if you were wanting just a searing indictment of capitalism as it exists today, that's probably a good one for you. Also, Lakeith Stanfield is top of mind because for some reason I went and watched The Haunted Mansion and uh, you know I gave two stars on Letterboxd. One star because he's in it. Two stars because I'm glad he got paid. <laughs> oh, man. Um, last thing I just want to note before we get into the spoiler section, and I'm just going to say this right now. Uh, if you're a guy and you're like, I don't think Barbie's for me, go watch the movie. I will tell you as a f film bro, because I imagine if you're listening, you're probably a film bro or you have some sort of interest in, in movies. Uh, this movie has a lot there for you. Mm -hmm. And I would say... If your reaction is to say that's not for me, I would I would challenge you to interrogate why, right. because the movie is interested in having that conversation with you as well. Right. So, again, I think it's very easy to assume that this is a movie for women. Yeah. And I it is. But I absolutely think it's just as relevant yeah. to men uh, and nothing, as well. And nothing is more telling than the response that yes. certain certain men mm. have had to the film. And the point that it exists. Yes. <laughs> the right. reason why it exists. And I want to be very clear. I don't want to take away from what this movie means to women. I want to be very oh, yeah. clear. I, I just also think that when you see, I've seen a lot of, we're not going to get political, but certain political entities such as Fox News or uh, other YouTubers, I'm not going to mention, lighting Barbies on fire on their YouTube channel, talking about how much they hate Barbies and how this is ruining masculinity and uh, manhood in America. I would really just say, stop and like ask yourself, why are you so upset that other people <laughs> are enjoying a movie? <laughs> What is it? I just, just stop and ask yourself. And then maybe when you're doing that, go see the movie yeah. and think I, about it. I would also add to if you're somebody who, you know, claims to be a fan of films, then the technicality of this film yes. is absolutely a huge reason to go see it, especially in a theater. One of the reasons that Greta Gerwig had to direct this is because of her abilities to do all of those amazing sets mm -hmm. and the dream ballet. Like, not... She's doing so much stuff that we used to do back in the day mm -hmm. that is so practical. Like those Barbie legs were real. They were not CGI. Mm -hmm. Like all of the sets and all of that, like that was done practically. And mm -hmm. that was a huge thing for her. Other directors might've used more CGI. CGI. Mm -hmm. Other directors might've taken more shortcuts. But the reason that Greta does such a good job is because she is a technical wizard in yes. this. Like, and I she's mean, a film purist too. Exactly. So. so, like, if you're someone who likes film, just go see it for yes. that sheer spectacle and technicality, and just be wowed by what you're seeing in front of your eyes. Absolutely. Um, and I would posit too that if you're one of those Christopher Nolan Tarantino fans, which I'm among you, and you're like, you you talk about how much you value cinema and practical effects. To Paris's point, this movie I would put in that same category. Uh, in terms of committed to traditional filmmaking techniques. The matte paintings. Really watch that Architectural Digest thing. Just the details of the clouds and Barbie land and all mm -hmm. the colors when they hit them. Oh, just gorgeous. A movie can't, a movie like this can't be made with just, without the utmost love. Yes. And it was mm -hmm. made with love. Lots yeah. of love. On that note, that brings me to another recommendation, Asteroid City, earlier this summer from Wes Anderson. <laughs> There's actually quite a bit of overlap in terms of some of the themes, but uh, also especially the set design. Um, so anyway, while, while we're talking about the amazing things about this movie. All right. That uh, does it for our spoiler-free review of Barbie. If you don't want to be spoiled on the film, go ahead and tune out now. 
Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beat you off. Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach oh, both of us off? It doesn't make sense. Ken? Why are you going to beach both of us off? Nobody's going to beach anyone off. Okay, there is a lot I want to talk about today. Uh, this movie has, has what, a, what a treasure trove of ideas and conversations. The first thing I want to hit on here is the core thing that's being marketed. You know, is Barbie an empowering feminist icon or is she representation of what's wrong with the world? Like a question the movie actually asks pretty textually, not even just subtextually. And I want to ask you, the women at the table who have played, grew up playing with Barbies, how successful is the film's approach to interrogating Barbie as a feminist icon? Paris, I'll start with you. The question of like, is she an empowering feminist icon or a representation of like what's wrong with the world? I don't think she's like either of those things. I think the movie is interrogating what it means to be a woman and what it means further and more importantly, what it means to be a human. And, um, it's really interrogating the choices we make and how that affects our lives. And I think it is hitting on the feminist icon aspect of it, and it's hitting on how problematic she's been, and it's not really making a declaration as to that because it very much so is making the point that it's okay to just be normal and you and ordinary and you don't have to be all bad and you don't have to be all good. There are no characters in the entire movie who are all bad or all good. And even the Mattel, even everybody has some sort of redeeming quality. Um, you know, they don't paint anyone as just like entirely an enemy or entirely a hero. Um, and I think a lot of the movie is trying just to make the point that Barbie should just allow to be Barbie and she shouldn't have the pressures of being a feminist icon and she shouldn't be blamed for anything. It's for one thing, she's a doll. Like it's a toy. It's absolutely ridiculous that we would even think of a toy as a feminist icon or as something that could be wrong with the world. It's a toy. Um, surely it's had these effects, but to blame it on Barbie is just irresponsible. Mm. I don't think it's even possible to be a feminist icon when you are a toy. So um, I just, I don't think that that is something that's important to me um, because even like even people who are humans who have been deemed feminist icons, like that's a lot of pressure. And if they, you know, there are people who I think are actual feminists, but they don't fit the idea of what is societally acceptable feminism. And so I don't think you can be perfect when it's come, like feminists are flawed and they're no more morally right than anyone else. And I just I, I like the idea of not giving a toy that importance um, mm. or humanistic responsibility mm -hmm. yeah yeah well well i think that's really well said kind of throw out the premise of the question and and, and I, in a way i think the movie does that too alex what, what are your thoughts here i really enjoy how so trixie mattel in her decades of dolls series she points out that fashion dolls are snapshots of not just american fashion which is why they should be archived and, and but they're also snapshots of 
actual history, where we were in certain times and where we're going in a society. And so kind of joining on to Paris's point, it, it makes a lot of sense that you can't you can't blame Barbie for being at times a poor reflection of the oppression that women have experienced through the decades because it's reflecting the values of society. I mean, looking back to Barbie's origins pre now that we can talk spoilers, you know, the, the, the 2001 space odyssey sequence at the front, that's, that is the definitely the top of the story, but there's kind of a precursor part of where um, Ruth gets the idea for Barbie, the whole conceit of this doll um, being independent of being a mother doll or, you know, that kind of maternal instinct uh, came from basically a pinup doll in Germany in the 1950s. Um, there was this comic strip that was starred this character called Build Lily, and she was very provocative and flirtatious. And she was a woman and she was very kind of uh, contemporary and forward thinking, but she was also portrayed with, you know, specific assets and a tiny waist, you know. Um, and so she got the idea for the doll from that to the point where they had to go to court and there was litigation about that. So all that to say, it's like the very foundation of Barbie was a reflection of kind of these patriarchal ideas. So that's kind of just hard baked into Barbie. And I have an insane list of examples that I think are almost even a moot point to discuss in which you know, when Sasha lobs these criticisms at Barbie's feet of, I mean, she calls her a fascist, which that's very interesting, but she, you know, these are all very pointed. And I think that that core idea is maybe we're putting too much hope on this one toy, you know, to, to fix, you know, it's like, ah, fix the woes of society. I think that's kind of where, where I land on it. I mean, to, to case in point, um, in that same times article, uh, Robbie Brenner, who directed Mattel films, he actually is on record saying he doesn't think the film is feminist, which I think is interesting. Oh, I, okay. I saw that yeah. come up in an interview with Greta Gerwig and she says, I'm sorry, this movie is unapologetically feminist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on the article does, and <laughs> This sentiment was echoed by the, I guess, mostly male boardroom at Mattel. And then Greta Gerwig and Robbie are like, who told you that? You know, <laughs> so there might have been. Wait, wait. You're saying the males who the males running the company <laughs> are trying to deny <laughs> that this movie is feminist, ignoring oh. that the women who made the movie are saying it's feminist. OK, OK, go on. Yeah, anyway, continue. Sounds it's. It's just really interesting. I all that to say Sasha has valid concerns about Barbie but Barbie is actually a reflection of just how it is to be a woman. <laughs> yeah, I think you're making really good points here. And there's also a moment in the movie during America Ferreira's um, monologue where she says women have to answer for, I don't know exactly what she says, but for the mistakes of men. Absolutely. Why are we sitting here discussing Barbie being responsible when all of the way she looks is a standard created by men. Yes. Yep. This isn't her fault. It's not women's fault. Why are we the ones responsible for fixing it? Yeah. yeah. And the additional history about Ruth and her time at Mattel is that she wasn't at the helm of Mattel very long. Yeah. She The rights to Barbie were sold a long time ago, and, and Barbie has been largely controlled by men for... Mm -hmm. Decades and decades and decades. So this is interesting for people who have seen Oppenheimer. They talk about in the movie how America uses people until they don't need them anymore. Well, they used Ruth Handler until they didn't need her anymore. She was a face yep. to put on the brand mm -hmm. so they could say it was run by a woman. Yeah. 
I, you mentioned the America Ferrera monologue, and uh, firstly, I, I want to say ten out of ten. Like actually, eleven out of ten monologue. I mean, I was put I that would, on a T-shirt, dude, for real. And, yeah, and recite it every day. <laughs> it's like uh, the reason I wanted to circle back to it though is because Paris, I love that you put it, this movie is really not about being a woman. It's about being. I mean, it is about being a woman, but it's also more deeply about being a human. And gender is this box that a certain group of people have put us all in and everyone's kind of miserable because of it what, what was your take on how the the monologue sort of underscores gender like what does it do psychologically to women well i think that firstly uh greta gerwig and noah baumbach are both amazing at writing monologues yes Gre uh, greta gerwig has had one of these monologues in every single one of her movies um or one of these moments mm -hmm. you know um, with Lady Bird, it comes at the very end when she's talking to her, the voicemail, you know, and then in Little Women, it is obviously the, uh, Joe March's, um, big speech about women and their minds and all of that. Um, and, uh, it's very much so a mouthpiece for Greta Gerwig as a woman, um, but in reality, we don't know how much of this came from Noah and how much of this came from Gerwig and, I think, firstly, yeah, so, like, Greta describes this movie, like, when she talks about what this movie is about, what she says is it's a movie about being and becoming human. Women are dehumanized. We are not fully human in the eyes of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so every woman, I think, is working on becoming human, and that's not their fault. It's the society that we live in does not... You know, it's funny because there's a moment in the movie at the very end, the final few minutes, when um, there's a Ken who comes up to uh, President Barbie and is like, can a can a, can a Ken have a, a spot on the Supreme Court? <laughs> and she's like, I don't think I can do that, but maybe like a smaller position. And then the mm. narrator says, eventually the Kens will have the same amount of rights as uh, women do in the real world and there was like no laughter because it hits really hard right yeah. oh like so many people want to talk about how we all have the same rights well if you could snap your fingers right now would you like to be treated like a woman is no yeah so um i think that all women are always trying to be seen as human and i think there's a lot of gender that goes into that but like that's the focus but at the same time Men also have their struggles. People of all genders have their struggles. It's just, it's okay that this movie is kind of taking the focus and putting it mostly on women. Because, again, you know, you think about, like, how much a woman makes per a man's dollar. Like, we just, people try to gaslight us into thinking that we're equal. And we know that we are equal on the inside, but we're just not treated like that. So someone made the point of, when America is uh, giving that speech, that it sounds basically just like Gerwig talking. Um, but I think that's just like for everybody. There's nothing in that speech that like everybody can grasp something from that speech. There's not a single person on this earth who would listen to that and not relate to it in some way. It's just that it's a speech that women relate to more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lorana, you're saying a lot of yeah over there. What what what, do you, what is your take on sort of how the film is dealing with gender and uh, Barbie sort of as a, a human versus feminist uh, or well, icon? Sort of I thing? feel like Paris and Alex have kind of uh, well, you've kind of 
this, I want to disregard the entire question, not that it wasn't a great question. It's a great question for a good discourse. But the, the, but the argument of does it interrogate her being a feminist icon, like, is that a, you know, I think, I think the answer, whether we agree whether this is or isn't a feminist movie, is yes, because look at the response men are having to it. You know what I mean? Like, and, but again, imprinting all of that pressure onto a product when the product is just a mirror of our own actions. Like what what Barbie represents is what society at the time thinks women represent. You know what I mean? And so it just continues to, it's this cultural artifact. If you want to look at it as this time marker, you can go back and look at every iteration of Barbie, every evolution of Barbie, all the discontinued things. Oh, that didn't work. This didn't work. You know, it's funny, but it also speaks to like culturally where we were. And you know what I mean? Like, and so... I would look at it, you know, again, as this great marker of what of these little points in our history enabled to dissect like where we were, you know, and this is the same thing I always think about the films that come out of every particular year and why I do put a particular interest in making the movies that win Oscars, you know, that win the Oscars to be like something that speaks to what happened, what was going on in the cultural zeitgeist at that time, because when we go back and look at the movies of the 2000s or the 90s or the what, what did they represent? What were on what were on the hearts and minds of society? Where were we at? And yeah, when you go back and look at movies from the 90s or the 60s or wherever, there's problematic things. We watch them now and we kind of cringe at some of the things that we said or that we got away with. But it was because we were at a different point in history. And Barbie is no exception to that. And there's one for every one of those eras. And so I think that that's that's kind of you know yeah in a, in a bloated way you know yeah does she is she a, a feminist icon um that's what they wanted that's what they wanted her to be you know what i mean but the question is like this how how does it reflect back on our perceptions of women and and what do we you know and what what do we now feel like now that we're having this conversation about the movie you know like it's given us a lot more to digest about that and i hope that men do see it because the again was Paris hit on the nail on the head. If these these roles were reversed, the men that are upset that this movie is is has misandry that hate men, you know, it's like it's imagine if these roles were reversed though, and the, and imagine if you had to live in a society where th- those were the rules and those this was the world you lived in. And the 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 moment the thing that's not clicking for those people is that that is the world we live in. Yep. And if you're this angry think, about the, I think they know this is the world they're in, and they're either not being honest with themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you get upset for They're a triggered. reason. Exactly. They're triggered. Exactly. Yeah, and definitely. you need to stop and ask as an emotional, intelligent human being, when you get triggered, it's a responsible thing to say, what about this makes me so mad? And yeah. really dive into that. I know. Men, go to therapy. Men, listen to women. Men, embrace your femininity. It's okay. It's yeah. about being a better human. Everything you said, I think is amazing. I, like, I want to re- reiterate that. The other thing I'd add to it is this movie is not anti-men. That's what's beautiful about it. It's not. I was thinking this movie might really just give fuel to the the like sexists out there who are getting so mad about this movie, but it doesn't. It's actually embracing men as humans too. And I think the thing that about the monologue and about some of the ideas we're wrestling with here is, guys, gender roles make us all unhappy. Yeah. Women, it, men, it like it, you create this whole like weird fantasy of all these expectations you put on yourself. You got to find the beautiful trophy wife and get the good job and. And then you use your cultural power to then make the women feel less than so that you can make yourself feel better than even though you yourself do not have a strong sense of self. Yeah. 
And we see how miserable Alan is. Like he's right. he's the result of someone who does not fit the straight male masculine alpha culture. Like he's very much so coded as gay. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that's what they're saying. I mean, he mm-hmm. gives the line of uh all all of InSync were Allen's. Yes, even that one. Um, <laughs> all, of, all of Ken's clothes fit me. He is very concerned when Ken goes to <laughs> run towards that wave. He cries when Ken's cry. Like, that's what the movie is saying. And he doesn't fit in to that. Like, he does not get along <laughs> with any of the Kens, you know. And he feels much more at home with the Barbies. And that's, I mean... I've I've heard gay men in reality talk about that. How they feel much more <laughs> comfortable with women than men because of that reason. And like that's that's the point is like this affects men too. The generals that he has to like live up to, you know, he just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And um now he's a lot I would say a lot of um a lot of men would just try to pretend that as they do. They like you know what I mean? They're so like Alan is this kind of like representation of when you can't do that, mm-hmm. but many people do fake it. And it does affect men just like it affects women, like these gender roles. And I think Alan just really is like supposed to show that. Yeah. I'm glad I, you call that Alan. Yeah. And I've had some I've had some cis um male friends of mine, um, and also some trans mask friends of mine both feel that they felt seen by a film that they had never quite felt before um, being seen with the complexity, like when Ken cries on the bed sequence or Alan not knowing where he fits in to, you know, this very binary bubblegum pink and, you know, hot black and flame insignia, <laughs> you know, that kind of energy of these two um, very desperate kind of I- ideas and aesthetics. I think this is where, why that fight club parallel for me is so interesting because lots of people took the wrong idea from fight club. Um, But whenever it's great in fight club, we are interrogating this idea of why do we have to look like the perfume ads in the bus as we're taking it? And, and why do we, are we expecting men not to have feelings? And yeah, there was an expression of feelings that was done maybe in an extremely unhealthy way, but it's all of us trying to grapple under the yoke of these societal expectations, whether they're based on gender or sexual orientation or any amount of factors. Um, we're all grappling with that same anxieties of the humanness of us. And they don't serve us. That's right. what we're yeah. learning. They right. don't serve us. And so and we they do serve ha- a very spe- small, specific group yes. of people. Yeah, narrow-minded people who want things to be categorized so it's, more, it's, it's easier for their brains to conceptualize the complexities of people who don't fit gender norms or people who don't fit you know, um, sexual orientations that they see, you know, like all these different things. Well, it's like, the people at the top who want who want everyone yes. to fit nice, clean boxes for the right. purposes of And I would money. challenge the men who see it, who are making those arguments, again, to say, like, again, as I mentioned before, if the roles are reversed and you were so angry to see the concept of what it would look like if men were accessories and not, like, fully complex mm-hmm. human beings, like, if you're that angry about it, then change the society you're in because we're doing it to women right now. Absolutely. I only thing I want to add to this, and I want to talk a bit more about the, you know, Barbie versus Ken sort of thing that uh, we're all kind of already alluding to. But 
Everything that Paris and Alex has said, I can't say it better. So what I'm going to add is real world, there's a lot of been a lot of studies around male loneliness, like adult male loneliness, and it's through the roof. It's awful. Again, the thing that I love about this movie is it has a positive message, which is, hey, you don't have to conform to that either. You just need to figure out who you are. You don't need the hot trophy wife to figure out who you are. You need to figure out who you are and find happiness, and which leads us to our next topic, which is sort of this competitive relationship between Ken and Barbie. Ken, obviously, from the jump, has a huge crush on Barbie, and, uh, you know, she's just not into him. He follows Barbie around until he comes out, he discovers the patriarchy in the real world, which he reads in a book. I thought the whole thing was really funny. Uh, <laughs> and then leverages this to take over Barbie Land. The way that Barbie's running Barbie Land at the beginning not actually great for the Kins. Great for Barbie. Ken goes to the real world, realizes, wait, the Kins can be on top? Great. So then he takes that ideology back to Barbie land. And then Barbie land's great for Kins, not for Barbies. What did you guys think about how this film is exploring power dynamics? Obviously, gender's a part of that here. The power dynamics and how they shape the reality. Alex, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think this is where I had a lot of personal issues because the message I kind of walked away with, and I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts on this is that change is still kind of seen at the individual level because we're, we're, we love celebrating people of all genders. We want Ken to be a kin enough. We want Barbie to feel self-actualized, but, um, and I think this is also just the fact that you cannot actively critique a system while still being in that system and, and fully, embrace that critique. And it, it kind of smacks a little bit of that kind of neoliberalist idea that, oh, well, if you just improve yourself and not worry about the collective whole, then it's all going to work out for the better. And that's the kind of thinking that um, people in power do take advantage of, that we're all these one, one person in these little boxes, and we don't have that impact of collaborating to that greater whole. So I felt a little... Not upset, that's too strong a word, but I felt a little, the air was taken out of my metaphorical balloon whenever we're kind of resetting Barbie land. It's like, okay, we're going to take all the patriarchy out. But there was no real discussion of Ken, Ken's continued involvement. We didn't give him a neighborhood. I didn't know what to do exactly with that Ken Supreme Court question because I know the point of that was for the joke. But at the same time, it's like a, a feminist movement is definitely led by women and femmes, but at the same time, it has to involve men for it to be effective because a lot of the people in power in these structures are men. So it has to, a good feminist movement has to include men in their feminism because that gives the freedom for men to explore different roles for themselves, different gender expressions. So that's kind of where I settled with a lot of the power dynamics in the film. Very complicated. <laughs> That's kind of where I settled with it. So I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts too. Yeah, I mean, I think that all definitely is valid for sure. I think um, for me, there's a moment towards the beginning of the movie where Barbie says, I wish someone could come with me, but I have to do this alone. Um, but then she realizes she can't do it alone and she doesn't do it alone. And at the very end, Ruth tries to say something to how she changed Barbie land or like whatever. And she's like, that very much so was a group effort. Um, and um, so I think that, and Alan being part of that as a man is kind of also saying men are involved in the uh, 
you know, they all go and vote while the Kens are distracted. And it's um, kind of like this collective effort. But I think the ending for me is kind of just bringing it back to like, you don't have to be responsible for anybody else. Just be who you are. Make your choices. And like, you be a good person and try to influence other people. We're not responsible for the world that we live in. We're not responsible for feminism. We're not responsible like, you know, she kind of has that of like, I'm not a a doctor, I've never performed this, I can't be on the Supreme Court, I'm not the president, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. Just be a good person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what being human is like. And I think that's kind of the takeaway I got it, got from it, um, is she thought she could do it alone, she couldn't. But then at the end of the day, it's just about being who you are and like making the choices that you make. My take here was that the change does happen at the individual level, but it's also up to us to find and seek allies and help others along on their journey so that we can make collective mm -hmm. change. Now, I will say, to your point, Alex, I still feel like the movie doesn't come out clean on the power dynamic yeah. because the joke, while hilarious, I want to reiterate, sure. and I love it, like the joke about the Supreme Court, Yeah, it does sort of, if you really follow that logically, it does sort of imply, though, that the Barbies are going back to old Barbie land where Kens are sort of being suppressed, which at the end of the day could undermine the idea that we're all supposed to be equals here. Uh, again, the joke was hilarious, so I don't want to under like say that it wasn't an effective moment. But I, I think power is part of the problem. The sure, group yeah. who has the power almost always uses it intentionally or not in a way that benefits them over others. And I don't think the movie ha comes out with a clean answer. I don't think it's trying to either. So I'm yeah. not criticizing it. But I do think like if you try to dig into the ideology here, it's not clean, uh, which leaves me with a lot of questions about if women ran the world, would it be better? It would be different. The movie doesn't really answer in a satisfying way whether or not it's a gender thing or if it's just a if gender is the problem or if it is the power that is kind of corrupting people yeah. who have the leverage based on their which group they're in. Yeah, I think I think honestly the critique here is like deconstructing the system. You know what I mean? Because it's the system that kind of continues to serve or not serve the these individuals. And I think that the film captures the messiness of humanity, the human condition. Um, but what I one of my favorite sequences is when you know, very quickly after the monologue, the thing that is used to deprogram the Barbies is giving them self-worth and value. Mm -hmm. And I love that as an as a concept, is that the thing that takes them out of their, you know, their trance, so to speak, is knowing their worth. You know what I mean? And I think that that same, that same privilege or power is given back to the Kens at the end, you know, whenever... Um, Barbie realized every night didn't have to be, you know, girls' night. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a, I mean, and it's it, it's a joke, but it's also like, it's 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 a nice it's nice to feel included. And I think that's the level of like equity that we could have expected from it, because the truth of the matter is, is we are still in a society where women are at that level. You know what I mean? So I think giving the men so much. Um, grace, you know, in this particular, in at least right now, in the concept of what the film is kind of arguing, feel would have felt a little too much like, well, this isn't your turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not really I your see. turn for this. Like, you kind of need to see what it's like here first. Like, yeah, we'll get around to it. But the idea is like, you know, like still, this there's enough problems that exist with it. So, yeah, I right. Know. I think everyone's super valid and like 
all of that really makes sense. For me, it is, okay, so I think the point that the movie is trying to make is that a perfect world is not ran by women. It's not ran by men. It's ran by everyone. Right. We all come together. It's equality. Right. Um, and that's not what they have at the end. The Barbies take back power. The Barbies are still very much so in power, so that's what that's going to look like. Really, the ideal world would be everyone equally in power, but that's not how it ends. And it's also that... I think it would have been very disingenuous if everything just worked out magically and sure. the world was perfect at the end because that's not what the movie's about. Also, to Laurent's point, it's just like, that's kind of like a get out of jail free card, you know? Mm. Everything just is like right. easy, you know? Right. You got to kind of pay your dues, I guess. Yeah. And But but the thing is, it, it's not trying to say that it should be ran by Barbies. It's saying that's also the problem and that's... Of course, that's how it's going to end because we haven't reached in Barbie land that. Perfect synergy. Because the Kens haven't learned that yet. Like they're not there yet. And so Mm. it still is very much so a world ran by women. And it's talking about that problem. It's not trying to say like, oh, everything's fixed now. I think Mm. I think that's uh, again, I wouldn't say defense because I I don't disagree. Uh. I think it's I, I like that it, the messiness is the point, I guess, yes. is what you, you got you and Lauren are getting. And I think that's fair. I loved that this movie does not resolve with the clean. Oh, actually, Ken and Barbie fall in love that they were just destined to be mm-hmm. and they fall in love. And that's that's the answer that they both needed to love each other, to move on. And in fact, I love that the film bluntly is like, yeah, no, that's that's part of the problem, actually, because Ken's answer that he thinks he needs is that Barbie should love him. Right. And uh, the movie does not resolve that way at all. It's saying the answers to progress or happiness is not love. It is self-actualization. At least that was my take. So uh, how did you guys feel about uh, how the relationship between Ken and Barbie resolved? Laurel, I'll start with you on this one. I found that refreshing. I found it refreshing because I did. I did. I think a lesser movie or more traditional trope would have been to like, okay, and like you said, and then they come together and then everything's perfect. And it's, and I think that, that again, it's not the point of the story, you know? And so it was nice to see that they both are on their own evolutions, you know, and they both come to, they have both have different, you know, like a different outcome, but also, um, but the, but the overarching goal here is for them to see themselves as a flawed, messy, as close to being human, you know, what we what we wrestle with, what we grapple with um, as human beings, you know, as they could, you know, right. and to have that come from, you know, looking at themselves internally. And so I felt like that was a much more, it's still a love story, you know, but it's a love story of self and not of, of this, right. of the romantic type, you know, and that's okay, you know, and it's also equally valid. So... I, I think that was a smart move, um, and it also separates that gender, like that heteronormative, very like just we gotta, you know, the, the equal balance of these two things. It's so, you, you know, the idea of ha- happily ever after that story alone, as simple and sweet and beautiful and idealistic as it is, has set g- several generations back in terms of what they expect out of their partners in life. I thought it was really powerful. Paris, what did you think about how they sort of resolve that relationship? So fascinating. Um, It's a breakup movie. They're together at the beginning of the movie. They're boyfriend and girlfriend, and they break up at the end. Um, So um, I think 
it's very cool to see like the sub subverted kind of like story of like, oh, they don't get the happily ever after. But I think there's even more to that going on because we're obviously doing like a gender reversal where Ken is the pining one, the one who's the hopeless romantic. And like usually that is the girl in the story. Um, So obviously like gender roles are flipped, but I think that like you said, that kind of happily ever after kind of indoctrination, which is what I call it, indoctrination, um, has completely skewed and like just messed us up, especially as women, what how men should treat us and how they should react and blah, blah, blah. Barbie kind of taking on that role of the emotionally unavailable person in that duo and exploring the reasons why she's emotionally unavailable because it's not just that she's not as into Ken as he is into her. It's that she's not into anybody right now. And I think that when we see love stories growing up as little girls where it always works out in the end, they're always attracted to each other. They're always a match. Sometimes in reality, relationships do not work out and it's, it's a personal thing. Like this person is dealing with their own stuff and it just does not – it's not conducive to their life right now. That's not what they're doing right now. Like they're <laughs> being in a relationship with their self. Um, and I think that for little girls will help them understand when they inevitably meet someone who is emotionally unavailable to them because it happens to all of us. They will understand that instead of thinking it's something wrong with them. Why does this man not want me? You know, I've done all the things that they showed me to do in movies. And like, why don't I have my happy ending? I think it actually is going to help. I mean, everyone, but especially girls growing up <laughs> and who are going to be dating. Sometimes it's not that simple. And I think with Ken too, his loneliness, like it addresses suicide because he goes to the ledge at one point and she has to talk him down. Like it's a little moment where they're addressing, you know, that problem in society. And I think that that of his like kind of reversal of the gender roles is also showing it's okay to have emotions and be lonely and, you know, want that for yourself. And at the same time, helping women understand why we feel that way. Because when it's a woman in that, I don't think it gets as nuanced as it does in Barbie. They really make us understand Ken. And he's not just this idiot who all he wants is a relationship. He's also finding himself. It's just he that's part of his journey is wanting a relationship. Barbie's is not. And I just think there's so much understanding. If I would have seen that as a kid, I would have understand my love life and dating world so much more than if I <laughs> like I grew up with all these love stories that were just fake. And that's what I kind of expected. And then you get the reality check that it's not that way. And I just think that there's so much that kids can learn from seeing the dynamics. The relationships are not going to give you the identity. You, forming your own identity will help you obtain the things in life. Not not, not just relationships, but will help you uh, obtain those things and that, that happiness or whatnot. Alex, what did you think? Going back to your idea of 
the fairy tale, I think another reason why that sequence is so powerful is because we growing up, we do get a lot of the buildup to the relationship. Will the guy get the girl? Usually it's that direction. Um, or will the girl get the guy? But it's whenever we get to the point where they say yes, they kiss, they get married or some kind of clinching factor and then roll credits. Whereas in this film, we really do pick up at, okay, now they're living the per perfect life. Now what? And it goes into kind of, if you wanted to use the Barbie story as kind of a larger allegory, like you were saying, the break movie, I think that's a fabulous way of in analyzing this film of the natural ebb and flow of a relationship. And when do you know when it's time to say goodbye, whenever nothing is concretely wrong, but there's something about it that just doesn't quite fit you anymore. Um, and Barbie found that evolution within herself and she was able to analyze that and grow as a person. And then she realized that she couldn't fit Ken's shape anymore. And that Ken needed to have a moment of doing that, but they couldn't do it together. Ooh, well said. And I think that's just such a powerful like example. And it's, really great seeing kind of codependent men in film because we always just see the codependent woman you know with you know Bechtel tests and all that stuff it, it's just we see the woman pining after the man and that they can't be anything without that man but now kind of seeing that role reversal and seeing how I don't know the validation of the fact that maybe for I'm not a guy maybe for tens and decades men have been like oh my god am I a freak for just like really just wanting to settle down and get that girl and in, in, in just kind of making my world her, you know, and now men have an example of like, Oh my God, I'm not alone in this. Um, I think that sequence alone is just so deeply powerful and thank God they didn't end it with them getting together. I think I would have walked out of the movie <laughs> right. if that had happened. It's like, Oh, let's undercut everything we set up. Goodbye. Um, yeah, just, yeah. I think compulsive heterosexuality is also a th something that they're touching on here. Mm, yeah. Because Barbie, this individual Barbie's sexuality is never really confirmed. No. We don't see her be attracted to anybody or make any comments about anybody. She has no love interests at all. She just kind of is like emotionally unavailable, you know, and not interested. But I, so it's it's that thing of, well, I never really questioned it before. She never really questioned why she was his girlfriend. She just was. And like it was expected of her just as in reality, it's expected of women to date men. That's mm -hmm. what's expected. And also the interesting thing about the Birkenstocks is Birkenstocks have always been a symbol of lesbianism and yes. she's wearing pink ones at the end. So what does that mean? <laughs> Also, it was hilarious. My fiance had just bought Birkenstocks about a month before seeing the movie. <laughs> there, was, there was a big debate. I'm like, do I wear the high heels to the premiere? Do I wear the Burks? I had the choice to make. <laughs> so tying to the ideas of capitalism there that I kind of hit on, the, the film is critical of the patriarchy, especially in its relationship to capitalism. But we've already talked about this a little bit. Uh, and I want to dive really deep into it. Mattel is currently valued at over $9 billion. Ruth Handler, uh, who we've already acknowledged, uh, the inventor of Barb 
Barbie uh, is listed as a co-founder of Mattel and was the company's first president from 1945 to 1975. Only three of the, the 10 of Mattel's executives listed on their official uh, website are women, one of them being the <laughs> the executive over all the movies. The question I have, and I'll start with you, Alex, because I know that this has been like a pain point for you as well as probably a lot of us around the table. How well do you think Barbie threads the needle between critiquing Mattel while also clearly being a marketing tool to sell Barbies? Uh, this is This is really tough because... I don't, at this point, I don't even know if Mattel's, if Mattel wants to increase the positive perception of Barbie. Yes. But I don't know if this is necessarily, we do want to have that millennial mom demographic buying their daughters Barbies, you know, if you're an exec at Mattel. But also, I mean, to me, it feels like more of the aim is not sell Barbie, the actual doll product, more of sell tangentially related items to the Barbie film experience. And that's just kind of the human nature of enjoying a thing is if you really enjoy a thing, you want to like represent that in physical items in your house or on your person or in some way, shape or form. Um, But yeah, that's really, I think that's really one of my big personal struggles. It just, the film is in a bubble, but then there's always going to be a lot of capitalistic consumerist uh, things circling it in orbit and that that orbit thing wouldn't have occurred if the film itself hadn't have occurred but that's just the nature of film as ips and products in in this day and age i mean the barbie film is selling you makeup it's selling you wrinkle cream it's selling you teeth whitening kits this is all stuff on ulta uh, we, you and i are on a discord server where we literally <laughs> are trying to track down like the bar, uh, barbie popcorn bucket to yeah, buy barbie popcorn <laughs> buckets you know i, I mean <laughs> Yeah, and it's not so it's not just the direct items coming out of the film like Blu-rays and the LP set which yes I did buy. You know, for the soundtrack and everything, it's also all of the tie-in stuff to make bring that Barbie vibe into your day-to-day life. And there's a lot of implications for the planet in this discussion that we're sitting and in global warming has never been more apparent being the hottest month on record everywhere, you know, more, more Barbies to put into the, the landfill. Luckily you got some from the thrift store, but there are going to be those moms that are just like, ditch it, you know, take it to the dump. So it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, but this is just the nature of capitalism. And again, we can't throw uh, Barbie capitalism at the feet of Barbie. That is silly uh, you know but it is yeah, the movie was never going to have the answer to capitalism let's just be very clear I mean, that's not I the was kind of hoping, <laughs> you know, just teasing. but it's it's complicated and i don't it doesn't thread the needle so much as say you can just buy you can buy all of this and it's just taxing it's taxing on me but that's that's probably I just I have to accept that that's just the nature of film going large IPs, which we're going to get into later. We have to have all of the things so that we can consume and never stop consuming. Paris, what are are your thoughts on uh, how this film threads the needle? Yeah. um, Filmmaking is a capitalistic endeavor. All movies are made to make money. Um, And that's at least the goal always. Um, I think... I'm not mad about a movie trying to sell Barbies because there are so many other movies that are trying to sell way worse things all the time. (laughs) Um, So I'm not going to be mad about it. Also, 
you know, I keep thinking back to Toy Story, right? Like, and we're still getting Toy Story movies, and nobody's mad that Hasbro is benefiting from Toy Story. Mm. Why would we be mad that Mattel is benefiting from this amazing movie? Good for Mattel. Like, capitalism, capitalism, I hate it. Like, there's lots of problems with it, but it's just like, I think we're being sold way worse capitalistic products in other movies all the time. I don't think Barbie is something that personally upsets me. If this gets more kids playing with Barbies and more boys playing with Barbies, uh, people of all kinds of adults go buy new Barbies. Like you don't have to be a kid. I just look at that all as positive personally. Uh, LeBron, what is your take on uh, how this film handles uh, critiquing Mattel? I don't think there was ever a world where this film could like, like just hammer down yeah. on Mattel yeah. when their hands are in it. You know what I mean? Like, and so I accepted that going in. Now, some people, I get it, granted, have some issues with that. But I do think what this film is at least successfully for me doing were any issues that I've wrestled with the the, the Barbie as a as an icon of anything um, is that it's it's selling to people a a um, it's like re reintroducing Barbie and our perception of Barbie and the neck it's taking the negative perceptions and reminding people that Barbie in any in any capacity is a tool you know what I mean and we have to it's what we bring to it that de- decides whether or not this tool is effective or powerful or useful or meaningful to anyone you know and so Barbie could be, it could be, it's again, it's a mirror or an imprint of our own, you know, our own um, society expectations and everything. So I think that if we look at this as an opportunity to like, hey, now if we're bringing more cultural voices to it, or now if we're bringing more diversity and inclusion, if now if we're like, again, that's a positive tool for society. But if it goes south or if it goes bad, it's not on Barbie, that's on us. I think that's a, such a good point. A weird thing that I'm going to tie this to. I was listening to Kendrick Lamar um, while I'm doing research for this podcast, and I'm listening to Duckworth. <laughs> and at the beginning of that song, he says something along the lines of, it was always me versus the world until I found it was me versus me. And I think that there's a big theme in this movie of blaming everyone else but yourself. Like, you know, it's uh, it's Mattel's fault that I'm conscious now. Like, it's that little girl's <laughs> fault that I'm conscious now. Everything was perfect. And, like, th- that's a theme that I think is brought up in many ways. But just y- it's you and Ooh. yourself. No one else. It's not the world to blame. It's not other people. It's not patriarchy. Like, you are you are responsible for your own life and your own happiness. And that song also talks about how choices impact your life and how your life can completely go a different way if you just make one small tiny change. So it's important to be true to yourself. And there's also another idea of just like, it's what you make of it, right? So uh, Roxanne Gay is a writer I really like who's She's written about rap music before, which I'm a huge hip hop and rap fan. And that is definitely a genre of music that has gotten a bad reputation for being misogynistic and sexist and blah, blah, blah. And Roxanne Gay makes the point of, sure, maybe it is, but am I supposed to just like not let myself enjoy anything? 
Because if you nitpick anything, you can find problems with it. And if it's not made for me, am I just supposed to just not engage with it? I like rap. There are things that I like that other women might think I'm problematic for liking it. But I think we have to have agency of allowing ourselves to like things Mm -hmm. and not being like, oh, well, this doesn't benefit me as a woman, so I have to be against it. The world's not made for us. Like, are we just going to be miserable in this world or are we going to find enjoyment thing in things that aren't perfect? And I just think that that is a big theme of this movie. Well said. I love it. A lot I want to pick up on there. Gosh, where to start? Choices have consequences. We're going to talk about in a moment. You want to have a big budget uh, movie grappling with all of these ideas that we've spent the last two hours talking about? Well, maybe you should have showed up for the other movies that did it before Barbie, before we reached the world where the only way to talk about these things on a budget like this is through IP. And what I mean is I hear, I'm pretty sure all of us, because we're regular filmgoers, hear people constantly complain about how Hollywood's out of ideas, how there's nothing original, fill in the blank. But you know what movies don't make money? Original movies. You know what I mean? I mean, this is this is an original Oppenheimer. I would argue that in that case, Christopher Nolan's the IP. So people know what they're getting with the Christopher Nolan movie. But like a lot of the these great smaller indie films or even mid budget films that are get lots of critical acclaim. People don't see they don't go to the theater to see. Therefore, we have reached a point where the only way we can have meaningful movies on this scale is through companies who are like also incentivized it it doubles as marketing marketing that they're going to make money off of point one the world we are in right now is based off of how decisions each of us as individuals have made number one i think that's a really great point number two though to your point just because this movie might have its cake and eat it too does not mean we can't enjoy the the cake that the movie does have a lot of positive to offer not everything is a In fact, I'd say nothing is pure good or pure evil. It's more like, well, you get some good and you get some bad or you get some good and you get some, "Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's not perfect. So I think that's really well said, Paris. Thank you for, and and Laurent too, for kind of bringing that to the table that just because a movie is not ideologically flawless and pure does not make it pointless or worthless. I I think the, the thing that I would love to see is just more meaningful conversations about how brands can responsibly leverage their IPs because uh, I think Barbie actually and Mattel actually did a great job. I don't know that we needed this movie and I say we big asterisks, but like, I don't know if, if this was the way I would have preferred to have seen a movie about these ideas, but if we're going to get a movie based on a toy, I'm really glad we got this one because it, it was bold. It was ambitious. It swung for the fences and we, there's so much to chew on. That brings me to my next question though. I will say, you know, there's a Paris has also raised a great point. How many transformers movies have we gotten? How many, there was a battleship, there was a board battleship movie. (laughs) There's a lot of movies that are selling, whether they're based on a toy or they're a Michael Bay movie that sells sex, you know, like there's. Yeah, I mean, how do you even determine if a movie is needed, right? Right. Like how, how do you even, is any movie, right? It's like we need movies, but how do we decide which ones are needed and what, I don't think you can, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get the question that you're asking. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think at least the, the bigger question though is I, I do think Barbie is a little different because she represents a lot, a lot, a lot more just as a conceptually than Transformers. 
I played with Transformers, and I'd actually resoundingly argue yes. I think Bumblebee is way more important as <laughs> the culture than Transformers. <laughs> so um, maybe I, if we could just really briefly, because I know we're running long, talk a little bit about what what sets Barbie apart from perhaps a lot of these other air quotes commercial movie commercials or whatever you want to call it, like a Transformers. Uh, and uh, Laurent, I'll start with you and then go to Paris. Yeah, you said, I mean, you already kind of said it is that, you know, she represents more. Like, I, I said this before um, in my review of this that, like, you know, at one point I thought that Barbie represented, just represented women, you know what I mean? Or, and then in particular, just white women, you know, like, and then at some point it didn't, it represented different cultures. It represented different, different aspects, uh, different religions, different um, aspirational goals towards different jobs and, and career fields. Um, and, you know, I think in Greta Gerwig's hands, Barbie represents all of us. And I found that to be kind of insightful takeaway from the film. Um, but yeah, I think that particularly like, like Barbie just, she accesses a certain part of our humanity, which is why I think that we're, we're like, there's that struggle between like, what does it mean to be human and to have complexity and to have flaws and to have all those things? I just don't think you're going to get those kind of meaningful um, conversations with like a, a toy car or a toy, you know, like, you know, I think that that's why Barbie sets herself apart. It's a much more, there's a lot more to draw from with the history of Barbie than I think there is with, some of the toys we've mentioned, you know, like sure they'll make money out of popularity, but are they going to lead to the same kind of um, kind of cultural conversations that we're having about this? I don't know. I'm not saying, I, I don't know the history of these other toys, but, um, but I feel like I already had a concept of what Barbie represented before we, before the movie ever came out. Yeah. So. Um, Paris, what, what do you think? Uh, what would you say perhaps uh, sets Barbie apart from the other, toy or ip movies yeah i mean i just so much but you know not to go off on too much of a tangent i mean like most toys are based on like superheroes or like extraordinary beings and like barbie's a woman and so like the very nature of the toy is much more simplistic than like, oh, this is a superhero or this is a laser gun. Like it's something special that doesn't like exist in our world. Like women exist. And so I think that that's an in interesting aspect. And with that too, Ken, men exist, dogs. I mean, just like these are real things that exist rather than just like a fantasy toy that we're playing with like a transformer that is not real. Um, I think that's an important aspect. I think the fact that it's, you know, Greta Gerwig doing it is miles different than, you know, a number of directors would approach it. And um, I also think the thing about it is so just kind of like going back to that kind of thing of like as women, we have to allow ourselves to find happiness in life. And for some women, the things that they deem what they want to do in life may not be what's acceptable to other feminists. So the re like, for example, if a woman wants to be a housewife and have babies and that's all she wants to do with her life, that's okay. She should be allowed to do that. And we, you know, just because it doesn't fit some feminist ideals, right? Like that's not, it's about choice with Greta making this movie. It's about choice. 
she has always said, I want to make studio movies. I want to make fantasy movies. She's doing what she wants. And if people want to look at that as selling out, much like they might look at a, a woman who chooses to be a housewife as selling out, I don't think that's what it's about. You don't have to be an indie director to have respect. You can make studio movies. You can make fantasies. You can... The, it's about choice. She should be able to make whatever the hell she wants. And if that's not acceptable to society, then fuck society. <laughs> Let I, her I, do what she wants. Yeah. And in my opinion, if this is what she's bringing to the studios, that's going to make me want to go see movies more. And if she wants, if Chronicles of Narnia is what she wants to make, hell yeah, I'm excited about that. Because if this is what she does with Barbie... I can only imagine what she can do with Narnia. That stuff is already so crazy. And <laughs> she's going to, you know, she's, I, I'm excited. Because any other director might have done a completely forgettable Barbie movie. Greta Gerwig did not. Chronicles of Narnia, I'm excited for it because I already know it's going to subvert expectations. But again, I always just look at this as a woman being allowed to just do what she wants. And if, if that's what she wants to do and y'all look at it as selling out or whatever, well, I just, I think that's an irrelevant part of it. When I learned about that, I've not been, I'm already like Barbie levels of hype for that. <laughs> you know, and this is just learning, reading the article saying it's happened. Just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm here for this. Um, but basically, I think it's the idea that Barbie is an anthropomorphized She's a person in her own little plastic Barbie world. And, you know, I there is that difference. I think Toy Story really, from my most recent recollection, has only been able to straddle this line well of being able to feature humanoid characters and non-humanoid characters, but then humanize them well. Um, I mean, you could say maybe Cars attempted to do this kind of idea. I don't know to what degree of success for me personally. Um, yes. but It's what Pixar does best. They give everything feelings. Right, right. <laughs> Even your feelings have feelings. Yes. Um, but the idea <laughs> for, there's just those two approaches. It really seems that it's like, okay, are you going to be exploring that world of the toy or it's going to be back to like our film pitches, like our fake film pitches? Because you've got the world of your your st skateboard Stacy, Skateboard Shannon. Shannon, okay. <laughs> so you got your skateboard Shannon versus, you know, a grifter selling beanie babies like it's either exploring the real world involving this thing or it's in that world and barbie lends itself so well to that because i can't i'm trying to imagine other opportunities i mean you have a list of them <laughs> below here that i'm sure you're about to dive into but um we'll see <laughs> kind of where yeah pivoting here there was a new yorker article recently published uh, that they recently published an in-depth look at mattel's strategy for adapting their toys to film the article was titled after barbie mattel is raiding the toy box i'll link it in the show notes and the article details plans for adaptations for hot wheels from jj abrams rock'em sock'em robots from vin diesel and perhaps uh, my favorite was uh barney from daniel kalula who has described his take as an A24 type film that's surrealistic and for adults. I'm going to quote very directly from the article. When the Israeli-born businessman Yon Kreitz, hope I said that right, became the head of Mattel in 2018, he was its fourth CEO in four years. Toys R Us had recently gone bankrupt, causing a slump in sales. 
Crete's predecessor had resigned after Mattel suffered a loss of $300 million, and the Cretes, whose resume included a stint at Fox Kids Europe, saw an opportunity for growth. Mattel, he argued, had a children's entertainment catalog second only to Disney. Just as Marvel had gone from ailing comic book publisher to Hollywood behemoth, the toy maker could leverage its intellectual property at the multiplex. Crete's also uh, said that my thesis was that we needed to transition from being a toy manufacturing company making items to an IP company managing franchises. Jumping ahead in the article, in the intervening years, the opportunities available to ambitious directors have narrowed further. The notion of starry CGI Bambi reboot has gone from joke on HBO Max industry satire the other two to an actual movie that Sarah Polly is making in the wake of her Oscar winning film Women Talking. Why am I pivoting here? We're in a very dire time in the history of Hollywood. Strikes are going on. There's a huge income inequality. Studios don't know what works like they have for the last several years. There's a desperation. So what do studios pivot to? They pivot to things people know. What that leaves us with is a world where if you're a filmmaker who wants to work for a studio on one of these budgets, you have to look at like, okay, what IP would I be most comfortable adapting? Again, yes, there are Quentin Tarantino's, there are Christopher Nolan's, there are Morton Scorsese's, but they are a dying breed of a bygone era frankly, not to be like doom and gloom. That's just the reality that we're in right now in terms of big budget studio films. So the question I have for the table, have we reached the point in the evolution of cinema where the only way to tell larger than life stories is by exploring important themes and cultural topics is through pre-existing IP? Or is there another way that Hollywood can figure out how to reasonably for these ideas in lower budget films? Well, Ron Chapman, I'll start with you. Well, unfortunately, as successful as Barbie is, I think it's going to uh, anything good gets beat the hell out of by Hollywood. You know, like so. I feel like Barbie enjoy what we have of Barbie now before they. Do you know what I mean? Before studio execs find the cash grabby aspect of it and forget why this movie was successful to begin with. And I think that part of it, like again, we mentioned the difference between Barbie being different from other toys, is that it is. It is rooted in something that exists, you know? And so, um, unfortunately, I look at this as a new frontier where they're going to marvelize. I just made a word up. Because, um, well, to be fair, yeah. Marvel's actually, I'm not saying on its way out because those movies still make tons sure. of money. But, I mean, they're definitely not as successful as they were, say, five years ago. Right. And I think that they're going to take this and and try and find a way to package it a different way. But what I hope they realize is that the people aren't, aren't in love with the thing of Barbie. They're in love with how it makes them feel and the aspirational things that it, it you know, that it evokes in them. And I think that, um, that that is the thing that they need to capitalize on. If that's what they find, they find the things that people love and finding a meaningful way to talk about it. That's, that's where you have something that's, that you can sell that is also impactful and not soulless and empty and just, you know, in the name of, of corporate greed. And so, um, unfortunately, I think that we're going to have to get a couple of brainless, you know, toy movies that don't don't have a lot to say, you know, before. A couple? <laughs> well, maybe more. The Barney one actually intrigues me, you know, like, but, you know, but but in general, like I said, like, I just don't know how many of these toys represent what that one does. And and so I, I don't I don't I don't know how long this will last, but I know they're going to try until it doesn't make money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so studios always follow the money first. Yeah. 
they're not seeking originality. They're they're look they're seeking money, and so that's why you see a lot of you see Barbie makes money. Like, okay, now we naturally we just need to make toys. Well, firstly, we need more Barbie movies, uh, and yeah. secondly, um, we need more more uh, doll movies, and then we need more board. You know, mm-hmm. th- that's kind of that's how an executive. Based on what we've seen in, say, our lifetime, right. that Sign me seems up for to be the, the Cards Against Humanity movie. I right. Oh, absolutely. Ooh, <laughs> yes. You're joking. There's an Uno movie in the works somewhere. <laughs> I'm not even is joking. It just the yeah. meme, the pay, it's like the 25 cards or, you know, do the thing <laughs> meme. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Alex, what do you think? So I. I wrote literally, sadly, yes, period. Um, but there is this kind of small glimmer of hope, 10, 10% chance or less, that. Maybe with some of these bigger films, The Flash kind of tanked, Indy 4 kind of didn't. A lot of these films are not doing as well as projected. Um, And maybe we're going to start triggering kind of that studio revolution that we experienced in the 1970s with Cleopatra. And maybe we'll get stuff like Dog Day Afternoon and stuff that really stands out of that time period and these thoughtful, smaller stories. But... And to note, just to want to reiterate, the 1970s, without getting too into the depth, the basically studios were borderline bankrupt because they had run out of money and started just throwing whatever they could at the wall. That's where we get Spielberg, Lucas, Scorsese, De Palma, uh, a lot of white dudes. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, we're not worried about studios running out of money. And, of course, the writers and actor strike is going to influence this a lot. But I, I am sad that the takeaway is just that spaghetti wall shtick, you know, that's going to be the takeaway is not the care and love and attention and attention to detail and performances of the, the, a very amazing film. Um, it's going to be yay money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking back to, we made a joke off air and we mentioned, alluded this in last week's podcast about Oppenheimer, but I felt like Oppenheimer was just Christopher Nolan coming to terms with the fact that he feels guilty for destroying Hollywood by making a good Batman movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paris, what's your take on this? I mean, do you think uh, that we've reached a point where it's only IP from here on out to make these big, bold, uh, bold movies? Mm, it's hard to say. I don't think so because, I mean, like, look, ever since the beginning of movies, there have been different approaches to being making movies. There's always been your smaller ones. There's always been your bigger ones. I would say that a positive that I look at it is maybe we'll get more women with these same opportunities because all the IPs have been made by mostly men. Yeah, and, like, definitely. I think that the positive I look at this is, like, for Greta Gerwig's next movie, hopefully she will have even more money and more resources. And hopefully Margot Robbie, when she produces her next movie, she will have more money and more resources. And I guess it's like I'm less concerned with whether that's IP related or not and more concerned with are they gonna, are women and femmes going to have the same opportunity to make these IP movies as men? Because the IP movies aren't going anywhere, but maybe we can have, you know, some diversity there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely an upside. Yeah. I, I, it's absolutely an upside. I mean, again, highest grossing uh, movie directed by a woman of all time. Yeah. You know, or opening weekend, I should say. And uh, I sent Caleb this uh, in this group chat that we have, but another kind of takeaway uh, is that Mitzel is building a Disney-esque theme park in Arizona yes. that features all of the IPs that they could possibly envision to make a film about. Um, and yeah, it's just, they're really trying to throw for um, being the next Disney and de- de- seating, dethroning the mouse, I guess. But um, 
yeah, that it's you. It, it's so interesting that sometimes the conversation that the real world um, regarding money and capitalism it feels so counter to many of the ideas in that one Barbie film, and that's that wrestling act. It can be really challenging. Yeah, it is a tough re- uh, wrestling act indeed. You know, all I have to say is uh, just go to the movies, people. You know, what, here's what here's good news. Um, a, this is a genuinely good movie that made lots of money. B, Paris said it well. Greta Gerwig, incredibly talented filmmaker we've all known for a while, who has been financially pretty successful so far, is now one of the hottest directors in the world. Um, that's a huge plus, which hopefully we see more opportunities afforded to women. That's a plus. So all those are good things. Um, also, looking outside of the scope of big budget film, uh, A24 ran away with the Oscars last year. A24 continues to, not saying every movie makes tons of money, but they continue to generally make money off of these movies. And then uh, what's Ari Aster goes and throws a, down the toilet with Bo's afraid. It, <laughs> good movie, not financially, uh, not, not financially successful. Sure. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm just saying there are still avenues out there. So there's the positives. I guess, I guess uh, my biggest concern is that we're going to see what happened to Marvel and uh, comic books happen to like, action figures and toys. And, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. That, does, that doesn't excite me, but that also does not mean that the whole world is just going to be studio cash grabs. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, we've talked about a lot today, folks. Is there anything else any of you would like to add about Barbie before we close out the show? Yeah. I think something that I didn't really get to get into is when we were like talking about representation and everything, I'm indigenous. I'm Chickasaw and Choctaw. My skin's white. I'm white passing. People assume I'm white. I'm indigenous. I'm not in this movie. There is no indigenous Mm. Barbie. So when we're talking about like the critiques and nitpicks of like, oh, you know, like I I feel like at the same time people are – one of the biggest complaints that I've heard is that this movie is trying to do too much and that it's muddled. But then – also, on the flip side, I'm hearing people, why didn't they do that? They should have done this. Where, where was mm-hmm. that? And it doesn't make sense to me. There's a cognitive dissonance there. But my thing is, this is a great 10 out of 10 movie to me. I could sit here and nitpick if I wanted to, but it would be nitpicking. Right. And one of the things that could also bother me is the fact that there's no indigenous Barbie, but there's also a weird line thrown in there delivered by America Ferreira's character about how in the 1500s, this is just like how the Indians were given smallpox. Yeah. They had no defenses. That was weird. I've, it's a weird line. I, I, I failed to really wrap my head around why it's in there. But like I said, in the end, it's just nitpicking. I'm there's not an indigenous Barbie. That's okay. I'm used to that. <laughs> like we all we all talk about representation. Well, indigenous people are just plain not represented. Yeah. yeah. So that's just what I have to say about that. <laughs> well, certainly not uh, a lot of indigenous representation writ large. Paris, Alex. LaRon, thank you all for taking time to sit down and talk with us on the Cinematic Schematic today. I want to let listeners know where they can keep up with you and your work online. Alexandra Bohannon, where can people follow you? Sure. And I do feel just obligated to say, and this, whenever I had conflicting feelings about other female projects in the past, I just, I want to be very clear that it is okay to ha- like things 
like things a lot, but it's also okay to have your critiques of representation or your critiques of capitalism within those structures. So I just want Nuance. I want to just be very explicit that, you know, I don't hate this movie. I really enjoyed this movie. So please don't flame me whenever you follow me at by Alex Bohannon on Instagram <laughs> or on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. Um, just my name, Alexander Bohannon. Guys, Alex really liked this movie. She gave it an 89.9. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that's I, that's a good, that's a good, that's a really good score. B plus yes. is a good score. I, I think that means you liked it a lot. Yeah. Paris Burris, where can people follow you online? I'm not on social media, but I have a letterboxed, which is just Paris Burris. All right. LaRon Chapman? You can follow me, my reviews on Letterboxd at black underscore Senna underscore man, or you can follow me on Facebook under my name. All right. And, uh, of course, you can follow me on all the things uh, Letterboxd, Instagram. Oh, we haven't even talked about it. X! I'm not really. I, <laughs> oh, I, I'm yeah. not. It's yeah. That's a whole other thing. I guess I still have a handle. Do on... you have a thread? Do oh, yeah, yeah. Do I'm so threads? glad I'm not on social media. It's, <laughs> it's a dumpster fire. I do not miss that. It's place. dumpster yeah, fire. Yeah. Here's the thing about Twitter or X is once you get <laughs> off of it, you're like, wait, why was I? Why was I on it so much? Life is so much I'm sorry. Better. I just need Caleb to follow me around at any time I say Twitter. He goes, X! Just like What's shouts the, it and does the You can't see the listeners of the audio. Arm. I'm doing an X symbol of my arms. Yes. <laughs> C Master's Talk. That is letter C Master's Talk. Uh, let's keep pushing Letterboxd. In fact, Letterboxd sponsors us, but we all have Letterboxd accounts. So mm -hmm. check, uh, check us out there. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Join us again in our next episode when we conclude our Barbenheimer discussion in our review of Ninja Turtles and Mutant Mayhem. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Until next time. Mm -hmm.